Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7 o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Looking forward to Ask Uncle Randy coming up in about 15 minutes. It'll be fun. If you have any questions, if you have any advice, life advice that you need, hey, ask Uncle Randy. Uncle Randy's here for you. That's here for the a, peeps. a highlight of the week. <laughs> We're looking forward to that. Got quite a guest list today. Keith Costas will join us from his little cubicle. That's not a cubicle. It's a, it's his nerve center at MLB Network. He's going to be getting ready for hot stove, and he'll join us at the bottom of this hour. Jeff Passan of ESPN at 845. Travis Ford, the Billikens head coach at 915, plus the fight coming up at 830. We are looking forward to that. And by the way, if you're planning on being out and about today, especially this afternoon, it's supposed to be super windy. So if you're uh, like if you're driving an 18 wheeler, be careful with your 18 wheeler because the wind has an effect on that 18 wheeler. Already with some great advice, Randy, yep. before ask Uncle Randy right out of the gate. Have you ever had the wind swerve your vehicle? Yes. It's unbelievable. It's very scary. Yeah, it's so very scary. That's the kind of wind we're going to have today here in St. Louis. Great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, Michelle, the Cardinals lost to the Mets yesterday. However, there's always a however. <laughs> there were good things that came out of the game. Carlos Martinez, three innings, two hits, no runs. He struck out three. Looking pretty good. All right, Carlos. Yeah. And actually, uh, he, you mentioned a couple, was it last year when he was at the uh, winter warm up? Yes. And you, you mentioned his maturity level. I was surprised because one of the things with Carlos. Um, with him not reaching his potential consistently has certainly been injuries. That's out of his control. That's something that he's had to deal with. But I think a lot of fans look at Carlos and they wonder about the mental side of things. They wonder about the maturity level. And you and I were at the winter warm-up last year before the world abruptly changed. And I remember sitting in on his media session and he seemed like such a professional. He seemed so mature. He kept talking about the goal of being a starter and how badly he wanted it and how hard he had been working for it and how this is something that he had wanted for a long time and he understood the opportunity that had presented itself this up that upcoming season for him to reclaim his spot in the rotation and be healthy and I remember leaving there wondering if he had finally put a lot of the pieces together and if we would in fact see a different Carlos Martinez and I remember the Cardinals rewarded him with that spot yep. after 
he proved to them that he, in fact, was taking it seriously. So I, I wonder where he's at from that perspective. I'm getting the same vibe this year. Something as, and I know this sounds really innocuous, but something is making a concerted effort to speak English all the time and having a, and generating a command of the language, of being accessible for his teammates, for his manager, uh, for the fans. And then just uh, going out and we were talking before we came on the air about just doing what Yachty says. And and when you watch the highlights, it looks like he's not shaking them off. He's just going to the hill and he's pitching. If I was Mike Schilt or Mike Maddox, I would tell Carlos Martinez just whatever Yachty throws down, yeah. don't pull a Jack Flaherty. Don't think. Just right. throw it. Trust him because he's got your best interest in, at heart and he's the best possible person that could be guiding you through this outing. And we would not deign to know. How do you like that? D-E-I-G-N. Look uh, at you. Name of the word. Our word of the day. Not a name of the word. Word of the day. Impressive. Uh, Well, when I said it, but then when I tried to describe it, it didn't work too well. Uh, Anyway, with Carlos, we don't know anything about him. You and I have no personal interaction at all with Carlos Martinez. But you wonder if somebody who was as affected by COVID-19 last year, and he was affected dramatically, Mm -hmm. if that has an effect on somebody and the way they look at their life and their professional career. Maybe thinking that this is an opportunity you want to seize because you never know when it could be taken away from you, something like that. I don't know, but I I do know that when we had Dan in um, at the end of last week, he was talking about how Carlos played in the Caribbean series, how he was playing winter ball. And normally a lot of starters don't do stuff like that Mm -hmm. because they want to prepare their body in a certain way. And it does seem like he's trying to make sure that from a physical standpoint and a competitive standpoint, he's ready to, to seize that spot in the rotation. If, if he can, And by the way, I asked him yesterday, if he's ready to go uh, seven innings in his first start of the season, I'm ready to go nine. Wow. Good answer. (laughs) Good to hear. Uh, Alex Reyes also pitched. Well, he allowed three hits struck out three in his inning of work. That means he struck out the side. He got all three outs via strikeout, which is good. Uh, that is good. Yeah, Hennessy's <laughs> Cabrera was good. Uh, Webb was good. Not a great day for uh, Angel Rondon, but uh, not everybody can be great. And Justin Williams hit a home run, so good for the left-handed hitting outfielder. There we go. Cardinals also announced yesterday that their alternate site last year, of course, was at Springfield at their ballpark in Springfield Mo. This year, it's going to be a GCS ballpark. John Mozalak talked about it and talked about who's going to populate that alternate site. I would think it's going to look a lot like your, your, your Memphis roster. And then I would think, as we, as we think through this, I also could imagine us keeping some players back down here that can get additional work and game experience as well. So um, as, I, as we start to, to build out what that 28 looks like, obviously we're gonna have to have a little extra protection in terms of catching because of the taxi squad model. But for the most part, I think it'll resemble triple. And we aren't going to have the opportunity to get over and and watch the players there. But the accessibility of those players to the big league team, it's going to make all into the different world. Absolutely. To have them so close is going to be great. And I'm sure these young men, Randy, aren't all that bummed that their spot is going to be located in Soche. Oh, man. Where there are some places (laughs) they might be able to, I don't know, hang hang out, perhaps. So find a date. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe. You never know. They've got quite the social life over there. They do. They do. You never know what you're going to find on the east side. <laughs> Michelle, I mentioned that not everybody can be great. Yesterday, Matt Carpenter goes 0 for 2. He's now 0 for 15 on the spring. His batting average, of course, 0, 0, 0. And he's eight times in 15 at-bats. Mo talked about what he's seen from Marp so far. I think to, to try to draw any conclusions after a week of baseball would be a little bit unfair, especially that, you know, you're not playing nine innings. You're, you know, it's, there, there's no doubt, like, like he hasn't um, had the type of success maybe that he would hope to see as well as us. But I would, I would just remind everybody to be patient. And, um, you know, I think as we get maybe you know, 10 days from now or, or, or Two weeks, so obviously there's, it's gonna. This question is gonna have to be answered differently. But at the moment, I think right now we're just letting ourselves be patient, and and uh, guys are getting their work in as as we're hopeful of. But you know, ultimately uh, um, drawing uh, where we are a uh, line in the sand, I think is a bit premature. I have learned my lesson. If Mo tells me to be patient, I'm gonna be patient because of Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Let's get let's get Mo a Fastlane T-shirt too. By the way, a be yeah, patient shirt. No doubt, he definitely needs to rock one of those. And I understand where he's coming from because it is spring training and it is a time for someone like Matt Carpenter to try to get into a rhythm. We need to take all of this with a grain of salt, but. It is a continuation of what we have seen of him. It's a continuation of a negative trend. Yeah. And even though it is spring training, I think when you're going over, that's raising a red flag. And I know that his role with the team is going to be different this year, so it's not as alarming, but that's still a lot of money that you're owed to this player that is not producing for you. So I, I have to wonder where the Cardinals' head is at when it comes to Matt Carpenter. And we should note that Miles Michaelis is going to undergo multiple tests here in St. Louis for what they called a sh- creaky shoulder. He's not getting any better. He was supposed to throw a bullpen today. That's not going to happen. Uh, the Cardinals general manager, Mike Gersh, was on yesterday with uh, Dan and BK and talked about how even if everything went perfect, it'd be iffy for Michaelis to be available for his first start. So we're going to talk more about Michaelis later on in the program. A couple of other notes from yesterday. Overnight, ESPN and NHL, it was reported, agreed to a seven-year broadcasting deal. ESPN will have exclusive rights to Stanley Force Cup Finals during that time. The report suggests that NBC will still retain a portion of the rights to the National Hockey League. But I always thought, Michelle, that as sports consumer, let me put it in personal terms, as a sports consumer and as a hockey fan, I don't go to NBC Sports Network unless there's a blues game on. Agreed. I do go to ESPN all the time. ESPN is a destination for me. I believe ESPN is better for the NHL because ESPN is a default location for most sports fans. You have to seek out the National Hockey League on NBC. You're going to land on the National Hockey League on ESPN and maybe stick around. And 
in addition to that, because I agree with everything you're saying, ESPN is a 24-7 news generator. So not only will a casual sports fan perhaps stumble on a hockey game if it's on ESPN, they're likely going to hear about it on mm-hmm. SportsCenter or maybe on First Take or on any of the other shows that are ESPN properties that are talking about, guess what, an ESPN property. Because when that is something that, that the company owns, it becomes a priority for people there to talk Great about. point. Yeah, you, you aren't going to learn much hockey when you're watching Meekum Auto Auctions on NBC Sports Network. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, Chris Long's brother, Kyle, is going to unretire. He had not played in the NFL since 2021, and he uh, actually 2020, and now he's going to come back. We don't know which team he's going to come back with, but he is working out, and he's going to play. Spend the 2020 season doing studio TV work for CBS and Several teams punched their tickets last night to the NCAA tournament. Cleveland State, Drexel, and Mount St. Mary's all on their way to the NCAA tournament. So congratulations to them. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Karakur and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can email us at askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. Leave a Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. Ask Uncle Randy on the way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Keith Costas coming up at the bottom of the hour in about 15 minutes right now. If you have a question for me, feel free to ask it. You can uh, do so by email, askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. You can leave us a mic drop or, Michelle, if folks want to use the air comfort text line 65780, they can do that too. This one from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, I have a coworker who uses the phone in the bathroom. It's very uncomfortable when I go in there and I see someone sitting down and having a personal conversation, but I don't feel like it's my place to say something. What do I do? I agree with you, and it's weird. I think this is something that you go out and you talk about how weird that person is with other employees. I think that's the play here. <laughs> Just shame them. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have to. You do it behind their back. I mean, you were raised the right way. You don't tell somebody to their face. You talk behind their back, but you go in and say, hey, can you believe Bill is talking on his phone in the bathroom? How weird is that? You don't bring that up to somebody. You don't bring up to somebody that you're paying attention to them in the bathroom under whatever the circumstance is. You just don't. So I think you just have to deal with it. If you, Hopefully you're not so pressed that you have to walk in and do your business and then listen to them and walk out. Maybe you can just walk in, you hear them on the phone, you walk out. But I think that's one thing, unfortunately, where you just have to deal with the weirdness and laugh. Laugh at it quietly. Have a, have a laugh inside your body. Or maybe you can pretend that you don't know they're on the phone and respond to them. And then when they say, oh, I'm on the phone, say, why? This is a community bathroom. That's weird. That's pretty funny. I never thought of that. If they if they yeah. say something about dinner, what do you are you going to pick up dinner tonight? I say, no, no, I've got chicken in the fridge. I'm good. Thing is. Every workplace has to have that person that everybody else talks about right. and kind of rolls their eyes at. Let that person be that person. Yeah. And really, it's no it's no sweat that you have to listen to that. No. 
as long as it's it doesn't not, impact you. Yeah. Really. As, as long as it's not super weird. And maybe we need a little clarity here as to what the conversations entail. Yeah, I don't know if we want it. <laughs> no, uh-uh. Okay, this is... Yeah, uh, let me give you one. that. So, uh, I used to know of a guy, never saw this happen, but knew of a guy who would be <laughs> sitting, sitting in the bathroom <laughs> stall eating a sandwich. No! <laughs> yeah. Ew, that is disgusting. <laughs> And everybody knew it? Everybody knew it. How did you know he was eating the sandwich? You could hear I, it? I was told by another co-worker. You could smell the turkey? I, guess, uh, I think it might have been PBJ or something, but yeah. Oh, just, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Did anyone say anything? No. It was a really old guy. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder if that person is counting down the minutes till they can grab their PBJ and head to the bathroom. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> or what is it about their desk or the community yeah. lunch yeah. area where they don't want to eat the PBJ there and would prefer to eat it at bathroom? You talk about literally playing for the tie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. That is hilarious. This is from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, my wife and I haven't been on a date in time. COVID. She says it's because we don't know anyone trustworthy to watch our daughter, but there is one that we both agree on, a babysitter. I don't want to keep pressing this issue and make her mad, but I'm sick of not going out at all. What do I do? I would I would bring that to her. I would say, hey, I'm sick of sitting at home. We need alone time. We need adult time. We do have somebody that we trust. Restrictions are being loosened up. Let's just go out for an hour, an hour and a half. We can trust this person with our kid for an hour and a half just so that I can spend some time with you. Not that I don't want to be around the kid, but just do want to spend some alone time with you. And I think that hopefully she would appreciate that. Or surprise her. You call the babysitter you both trust. You get the babysitter over. You say, surprise, date night. We're going out. Force her hand. The thing is, when you force her hand and she... This is what would happen in my house. If she doesn't have time to plan, she's not going to enjoy that surprise. If she has to spend an hour, an hour and a half away from her kid uh, as a surprise, she's never going to be attentive to the date. So even though it's the babysitter she trusts, doesn't matter. she has to mentally plan to be okay? To be away, away. from the kid. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah, don't, at this stage, don't make it a surprise. But we have, uh, it's the old, okay, Uncle Randy therapist here. Got it, got it. This is the way I feel about this situation. I love being with you and our child, but I love being with you alone. And I just feel like we need to get out and do something. The weather's okay. We can go out and we can eat outdoors. Maybe we could do a little picnic. But I just want to be together with you. That's the way I feel. Don't put it on her at all. Make make it all about your feelings. Tell her how you feel and then see if you can play the game that way. This is why you're the best, Uncle Randy, because I would have just ripped the Band-Aid off and oh. said, guess what? We're going out. You can't do that with a mom. Okay, nope. see, I'm not nope. a mom, so I don't know. This, this is why you're <laughs> the best. Okay, from the 636, dear Uncle Randy, I'm having difficulty at work on something others on my on my team have a grasp on already. It gives me anxiety to ask for help, fearing judgment that I don't really know what I'm doing overall when I really do. How do I go about asking help on this one particular thing? I think that you need to find the person that's either the smartest person or the person that you trust the most. One, hopefully it's one and the same. And 
just ask that question. Say, hey, how do you do this? I'm doing it this way. How do you do this? So don't make it sound like you don't know what you're talking about, but maybe there's different ways. One of the phrases that we talked about phrases like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. One way to skin a cat. Maybe there, <laughs> there are multiple ways. Just So that that's what I would say is in a casual conversation, hey, how's everything going? What are you guys doing this weekend? Hey, you know what? I, I, I've been doing this and I'd just like to see, how do you do it? That's the way I would approach it. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. That way you don't give it away that you don't don't want to, uh, you don't know. But you don't want it to be like Randy in algebra, where I literally got a zero out of 100 on a test. Because when you don't know, it just starts building and building and building and actually spiraling downward. Because more piles up, more stuff that you need to know piles up. But if you don't have that foundational knowledge, you're hurt. So... The key is to find what you b- believe is the smartest person and then just say, hey, how do you how do you do this? Yeah, you're right. Because if you don't ask in some way before long, you're going to show them that you don't know. What yeah, you're right. Doing. Yep. I have. Well, I can give you a perfect example. Now, I'll, I'll use this example. We have a new machine here. Uh, it's called an instant replay machine. And we're going to load all kinds of different stuff, sounds onto this instant replay machine. I can go in there into our production studio and spend four hours and not figure it out. Or I can walk down the hall to an engineer and say, hey, can you show me how to do this? And then I, in those four hours, I can load on a hundred different sound effects. So rather than trying to figure it out myself, I am going to ask somebody, hey, what's the best way to get this done? I also wonder if there's a way to Google it. Great point. There's a forum yes. for everything these days. There maybe, is. maybe you can read up on something, and yep. that's the way you can weave it in the conversation. Yep, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Because that's what where I started with the instant replay machine. Oh, nice. It's on Google. Good. Okay, last one for you, Randy, from the 573. Dear Uncle Randy, settle a debate. Better side for pulled pork, coleslaw or mac and cheese? Michelle, I don't know if you're aware of this. But our co-worker, uh, star of the fast lane, Brad Thompson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once had a minor league teammate nicknamed Coleslaw. Okay. Okay. He didn't know why his nickname was Coleslaw. The other 24 people on the team did. It's because nobody really loves Coleslaw. Nobody really likes it that much. It's just there. And, yeah, if it's there, you'll, you'll eat it. But nobody goes out and says, oh, man, I'm really hungry for Coleslaw. Mac and cheese is, oh man, I can't wait to have mac and cheese. That's right. I make make mac and cheese on the Traeger. The mac and cheese at Salt and Smoke is absolutely unbelievable. If you've never been there, it's the best mac and cheese you'll ever have. I have that recipe. Mac and cheese is something that on a Thursday, you'll say, I can't wait until I make that on Saturday. You will never on a Thursday say, I can't wait until that picnic on Saturday when we're going to have coleslaw. So it's absolutely 100% without question mac and cheese. Even though sometimes a, a good vinegar-based coleslaw could be a great complement to barbecue? The best coleslaw doesn't reach the level generally of the worst mac and cheese. That's a fair take. That's fair. Yeah. And imagine finding out why your nickname is coleslaw. <laughs> Right. And then you're like, is it because I have personal conversations in the bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Uh, And and by the way, it's a valid debate because so many restaurants, for some reason, put coleslaw next to pulled pork. And I think that, like, 
our friend Mike Johnson over at Sugar Fire. He's got coleslaw and mac and cheese. So barbecue people actually think that coleslaw is something that you'd like to have with your pulled pork when most of the people, red-blooded Americans that eat barbecue, 99% mm-hmm. are going to prefer mac and cheese. You're getting a lot of pushback on the text line from the 618. But, Randy, you can actually put the coleslaw on a pulled pork the sandwich, mar- and it is divine. We're talking about a side here. Okay. Uh, okay. A- a- it was couched as a side, and I still wouldn't do it. I, if I have the choice between mac and cheese on the side and a pulled pork sandwich or coleslaw on a pulled pork sandwich, I'm taking the mac and cheese 100% of the time. 100% of the This one says, bad take, Randy. Col- coleslaw with Carolina-style barbecue, baby. Sorry. Not, you're not right. <laughs> Sorry. That's the way it is. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, right. Thanks for your text as well. We appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to head up to Secaucus, New Jersey, where Keith Costas is getting ready for Hot Stove, and he'll join us with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Every morning here in the studio, Michelle and I have the TV on MLB Network and we watch Hot Stove and there's always a lot of Cardinal content on there. And then later after we see all those red caps, eventually we see the the face of Keith Costas, who's always in the booth, always spreading the Cardinal love on MLB Network. And he's getting ready for the show now, joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Keith, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm good, guys. Good morning. How's everything back home? Everything's good. We always love the fact that you you spread the cardinal word on hot stove. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Unbiased, down-the-middle journalism, Randy. That's right, Keith. But I do have a question for you about the Cardinals brand nationally. Prior to the Nolan Arenado deal, we here locally wondered if the Cardinals maybe had lost a step nationally, that it was a team that was always kind of in the hunt. And I'm sure at MLB Network, it's a team that has a little bit of intrigue always. But how much more do you guys want to talk about the Cardinals now that they have acquired Nolan Arenado? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, over the last couple of years, there's been some uh, consternation among the fan base back in St. Louis. But I think nationally, people had more of a big picture view of it. And even though the team had gotten a little stale, obviously needed to make some improvements. I think that people outside of St. Louis had uh, had some optimism that they would get back on track and do that winning franchise that they've been over the years. But certainly the Arenado deal has vaulted them back towards the top of the conversation. And I think it's almost universal in our building, at least, that the Cardinals are the favorite in the division. Which is amazing. When you think about what the Cubs were supposed to be and what the Cubs might be after the trade deadline, it really is remarkable to me that that window for the Cubs was as narrow as it appears to have been. No doubt. And I mean, the same thing to a lesser extent with the Astros. Both those teams you looked at and thought they'd be teams that have a chance to collect multiple championships over their windows. Both of them have won. Obviously, nothing to scoff at. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that you hit the nail on the head after the trade deadline, what this Cubs team might look like. I think that most people agree that the odds are probably that Chris Bryant gets moved at some point during this season. And that would certainly signify a page turning from what we thought would be a dynasty with Baez and Rizzo up at the end of the year. So yeah, I think the Cubs might have a hard time getting to 500 this year, Andy. And, Keith, a big part of that was going to be, in my opinion, Theo and Joe Madden. Who would have thought that those two would both be gone five years ago, too? No doubt, and especially the way it went down at the end with them not really being on the same page over that last kind of lame duck year that Madden had. So, 
Yeah, the idea that Joe Madden would not necessarily go out on his own terms in Chicago, even if you said that they weren't going to win the way people predicted, I don't think that's something that anybody saw coming, even in just a few years leading up to when it actually went down. Keith, when I look at the division, the Brewers are the biggest question mark to me. I don't know if you agree, but what's your expectations for what the Milwaukee Brewers will be this year? I actually think the Brewers are very similar to the Cardinals, albeit they might get there in a slightly different way, but they're going to be pitching and defense with the additions that they've made with Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr. out in the outfield. And if things go right in that offense, I think that they're going to have kind of a similar formula to what the Cardinals do with two big hitters right in the middle with Yelich potentially bouncing back and Keston Hira. He's a defensively challenged player, but moving back to first base, maybe he gets a little more comfortable and He's shown a lot of power in his career. So I think they're going to have to create offense outside of those big two bats, and they're going to really lean into their defense and pitching. And I'm with you, Michelle. I think that's the biggest uh, that's the biggest challenger in the division, and I think that they're probably pretty close, maybe a few games behind the Cardinals if you had to predict it going into the season. But I think that's going to be a good race with two pretty evenly matched teams in St. Louis and Milwaukee. One of the unfortunate aspects for the Cardinals is they have this great starting pitching depth, but they aren't going to have Dakota Hudson. And Miles Michaelis is going in for multiple tests today on a shoulder, and he had the forearm surgery. So it's unlikely, in my mind, that we'll see Miles Michaelis. And you know there are going to be other injuries. So that depth that the Cardinals have of starting pitching, and they traded Gomber too, is already taking a hit. No doubt. They have good depth, but like you said, it's been challenged. But I think that's really going to be the story of the season around the whole league. I mean, you look at teams outside of the Dodgers, the Padres, maybe a few others that are really stacked in the rotation, and teams are going to have a lot of question marks. I mean, the Yankees have an over-under number at 97.5, and and their number two starter right now is Corey Kluber, who's been injury-riddled over the last two seasons. So I think there's going to be a whole lot of teams that after you get past that first, second guy in their rotation, they're going to be piecing it together. Things might not look the same in April as they do in June, let alone September or October for some postseason teams. So teams are going to have to be very creative with their pitching this year. And while the Cardinals have already suffered some losses, I do think that they have the overall depth and having an ace like Flaherty at the top and even Wainwright, I don't think he's going to be quite what he was last year in terms of innings load, but I mean, having some dependability for your two starters, I do think they're in position to kind of piece it together and get creative in ways we haven't necessarily seen from them in the past in those four and five, maybe even three spots on occasion. Keith, when you're coming up with content for the show and you can't come think maybe you need a segment to fill, is it a default to always just go to Fernando Tatis Jr. because you know he's such a superstar and there's always (laughs) something interesting about him that you can discuss? I mean, everybody loves Fernando Tatis Jr. (laughs) Who doesn't love this guy? Even if he was the most boring player ever, just talking about the stats and how great he is on the field would be enough. But you add in all the flair and the personality and just a likable a likable guy on and off the field, you know, a bilingual young superstar that can play in America and in the Latin markets. I mean, yeah, this is exactly what baseball ordered after having a guy like Mike Trout, who's sort of anonymous for as great as he is to a lot of the country. Fernando Tatis is already all over the place in terms of commercials and just general name recognition. So, yeah, you can't ever go wrong with Tatis. And uh, I think you picked up on a trend. We don't make it more than an hour or so without talking to Tatis here in Secaucus. (laughs) (laughs) And your group, Matt and Harold and Lauren, they laugh, they have fun. You have a a good time. You have great segments. I think my favorite is Mystery Guest. Do you have a favorite segment that you run on the show? The mystery guest is always a fun one. Harold loves to line those mystery guests up. We actually have one coming up today, too. It's always fun to get into just kind of the guys that are in these, you know, Matt and Harold's baseball Rolodex from all their time in the game. I mean, obviously, we cover the big news and the best players and the big stories of the day and whatnot, but I think the show is really at its best when you're talking to some guy that 
you know, your average fan might not know, but our guys have real connections with, and it's like they, you know, it, they don't miss a beat. They might not have talked to a guy in five, 10 years. Maybe they haven't seen them in person since they played, but it's just like getting in the time machine and going right back to the old Mariners days or Maddie's days in San Diego and Milwaukee is their play by play guy. So I think just kind of connecting with those, uh, those non-stars on the show that the average fan doesn't necessarily get to see their personality, especially guys from previous generations when it wasn't, you know, social media age and a 24 hour kind of television coverage situation. So I think that's probably my, uh, my favorite part of the show, those eighties, early nineties era players that get to kind of come on and show their personality, tell some old stories. It's great. It's great, Keith. Well, I want to ask you about Albert Pujols. A couple of weeks ago, we thought we had an announcement that this was going to be the end of his career after this season when his wife posted it on Instagram. He's since walked that back and said that he might be open to playing more than past this season. And I, there's a debate here in St. Louis. We wondered maybe if the DH permanently came here to St. Louis or to the National League, would Albert in any way have a reunion here in St. Louis to close out his career? Just as someone who's been a Cardinals observer for a long time, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I would love it. It would be absolutely incredible if he could somehow close out his, his career wearing the birds on the bat. But beyond something ceremonial and sort of temporary, I, I would have a hard time seeing them actually bringing him back to be a big part of the team, even if the DH was in the National League, but I would hope to be proven wrong. I would be the first one lining up to hop on one of those Southwest flights back home if, <laughs> if indeed Mo did pull the trigger on that, and I'd be there at Bush Stadium to see it, that's for sure. And I, I couch it this way, Keith. I think the Cardinals would have to make a decision between nostalgia and gimmickry and winning if they were going to do that. Yeah, no doubt. With all due respect to, to Albert, I mean, that's exactly what it would be. If he was actually in your opening day lineup and expected to be a big part of the team, I think it would feel gimmicky, and I don't think they're in any position to make a move like that. I mean, it's a team that's built to win, especially after the moves they made this offseason. And I think next year, they might, with the way the pitching's going to line up and Reyes you know, being in the bullpen this year, maybe being a starter next year, I think next year could actually be an even bigger year for the Cardinals. So, yeah, you'd have a hard time figuring how 40-plus uh, Albert Pujols would factor into that mix. But, again, if I'm proven wrong, I will be there in my number 5 jersey to <laughs> enjoy it along with the rest of the people. Hey, Keith, one last thing, and I know you have to get on the air with your show momentarily, but you did bring up the other day the Cardinals Hall of Fame nominees, Carlton, Hernandez, Morris, Edgar Renteria, Lee Smith. You've been a Cardinal fan all your life. Who gets the Keith Costas vote this year for the Cardinal Hall of Fame? I think it would go for me. I mean, they're all great candidates. I think that most of them will make it in eventually. But I think just on a personal note, I'd go with Keith Hernandez. He seems like a guy. I mean, he's been in New York for so long calling the games. He's, you know, people might know him from his Seinfeld appearances as a New York guy. He kind of is identified with that team more on a national level. But I'm not sure people realize just how good he was in St. Louis, kind of a kind of a dark horse, kind of hipster Hall of Fame type of candidate, and most of that resume was built in St. Louis. So I would love to see number 37, Keith Hernandez, wear a red coat. You just want a guy named Keith in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, that doesn't hurt either. It's a nice silver lining. <laughs> hey, have a great show. Thanks for coming on with us. We always appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, and uh, hopefully we can do this during the season, too. All right, guys, be well. Thanks for having me. All right, Keith, thanks. That's Keith Costas. He's getting ready for Hot Stove on MLB Network. But think about what Keith said about Albert if he would return. He'd be one of the first people on a plane wearing a number five jersey oh. to buy a ticket and see him in the stands. And I I think we discount that a little bit. Not that the Cardinals are going to need any sort of a gimmick or anything to fill the stands because people are going to show up. That's for sure. But he draw he draws in Cardinals fans. He does. That would be this would have been a crazy opening day with the acquisition of Arenado. The opening day McGuire's first one here in 98 was 
amazing. If the Cardinals had opening day 2022 and Albert Pujols was on the team, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be unbelievable and uh, people would love it because uh, Keith wouldn't be coming back to watch Albert hit a home run. He'd be coming back to watch him go around the warning track in the car and land at home plate. And then here's our future red jacket meeting up with all the other red jackets. It would the emotion in the building would be off the charts. It would. The problem is once the game starts. And the problem thereafter is what about when we hit July? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what, what, what about yeah. the second half of the season? Yeah. Or you know, when things get tough down the stretch and he's not performing, those difficult decisions, does that overweigh the nostalgia factor? I my in my opinion, yes. I will say this. And I understand that Mo said that we have to be patient with MARP, but if Everything else was equal, and I had the choice between Pujols and Matt Carpenter to be my DH. If I had a DH in the National League, I would take Pujols right now over Carpenter. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a DH in the National League, and the Cardinals aren't going to spend that much money. And, hey, he's got a no trade. He's not going anywhere. He's lived in Anaheim for nine and a half years now. He's not going to allow the Angels to trade him anyway. So if the Cardinals would ever get him, it would be as a free agent, and I just don't see the Cardinals doing that. Me either, but it's a fun conversation. It is. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. It's a little game of take it or leave it. And, Michelle, I I have switched up here due to our conversation in the last minute. Wow, okay. Uh, Take it or leave it. You, in the last two years, so I will go pre-pandemic, have eaten in a Chinese restaurant. Not carryout. We've all had Chinese carryout. You have eaten inside a Chinese restaurant. Pre-pandemic. Yeah, in the year before the pandemic, which... Baseball was stopped two years ago, or a year ago Thursday, or Friday. I'm going to have to leave it because it's such a treat when you get it delivered and you're at Mm -hmm. home in your sweatpants. Yeah, I'm the same way. We uh, There's a little place right at Ballas and Olive called Zhang Chi that we love, Uh and there are some other places we do carry out Chinese, but I can't remember the last time I went and ate in a Chinese restaurant. Definitely more than two years ago. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. How about you, Emily? What do you guys, you guys eat, eat inside a Chinese restaurant? So if if P.F. Chang's counts. Yeah, you can count that. Yeah. I, I had a friend in Connecticut who, Connecticut, we were super locked down. So we were able to open up a little bit earlier than, I guess, you guys were here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very, you know, people took precautions a lot better, I guess I would say, than you guys did here. Yeah. People wore masks. People, you know, there were hand sanitizer stations everywhere. Um, Good. So you yeah. you were inside. Yeah, PFJ. but it was, you know, it was uh, the tables were spaced out. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was very. It felt very safe. Um, so I went a couple times. There was a woman that I was friends with up there. That that was where she wanted to go. So, so we got one. Yeah, one out of three. All right, all right. Um, I have a sports one for you, Randy. Okay. So Tom Brady has 
so many records. He has so many things that he's accomplished in his career, and he can get one more in the books. So during his career, he's beaten 31 of the 32 teams in the NFL. You can probably guess which team he has not beaten yet. Mm-hmm. Tam, uh, the New England. The New England Patriots. Yeah. Well, Brady's going to play the Patriots this year. So he has the opportunity, which is going to be great TV, by the way, Brady versus mm-hmm. the Patriots. But he has the opportunity to beat all 32 teams in the NFL before he retires. Take take it or leave it. He gets it done. I'm going to take that. Yeah, I would be stunned if he didn't beat Belichick, who, by the way, is well under 500 without Brady. So, yeah, that's going to happen. Do you know any of the other quarterbacks that have beaten every team in the league? I'm guessing Favre. Correct. There's two more. There's three total. Peyton Manning. Yep, one more. And uh, who else would it have been? Somebody recent? Did Breeze do it? Breeze did it. Way to go, Randy. All right. Impressive. All right. Uh, 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line. And Emily, what do you got for us? From the 618, take it or leave it. Molina will get a gold glove this year. I'm going to take it for fun. I'm going to take it, too. I know Real Muto is the guy that right now is considered the best, but Yachty's throwout percentage is actually better. And if ever there was a motivated guy to win, it's going to be Yachty with a one-year contract and having Arenado on the team. I think every everything points to this being a really good Cardinal year. And part of winning a gold glove is being on a successful team and people seeing you. That's right. Good point. From the, from the 314, take it or leave it, O'Neal will put up trout numbers since he's wearing his number now. Ooh, I'm going to leave it. It would be great if we could take it, but yeah. I'm going to leave it too. Trout doesn't make out as much as, uh, and I, I don't think uh, Bro O'Neal is going to be able to pull off striking out that little. Let me give you, not that trout doesn't strike out because he does, but let's see, he has... In the last couple of years, last full seasons that he played, 120 strikeouts, 124, 90, 137. Uh, O'Neill's going to strike out 195, 200 times. From the 314, take it or leave it, Edmonds or Pujols will be the next Cardinals hitting coach. I would love if it was Edmonds, but I don't know if that's something that he's interested in. I know he works with a lot of the guys and he's very helpful with the organization, Mm -hmm. but... It's a completely different thing when you do that on your time and then you also have your role in the booth and you get to structure your life however you want when you're actually the hitting coach and your schedule is basically set for you in a lot of ways. I don't know if that's something he's interested in. And if the Cardinals interview Albert and maybe Jimmy too, let's keep in mind that whether Jeff Albert is here or not, the front office is all in on analytics and hitting that way. Albert certainly isn't all in on analytics and hitting that way. And I don't think that Jimmy is going to take the time to be all in on analytics and hitting the way the Cardinals front office wants guys to hit. So I think it's going to be a matter of taste. Okay, Jim Evans might be a better hitting coach than Jeff Albert. Mm -hmm. But my thought here, and nobody's told me this, I'm just observing, is that the Cardinals are all in on what they think is right. Not necessarily what is right, but what they think is right. Interesting, because I wonder if Jim Edmonds is giving counsel or instruction to any guys, even just on a friendly basis, and it's paying dividends, if that's not something the Cardinals pay attention to. Think, and, and 
Remember when they brought up Buddha a few years ago and they said, we want to simplify things. And then they get rid of Buddha and they bring in a more analytical guy. And what could be more simple than what Jim Edmonds told us about what he said to Harrison Bader? If it's spinning, don't swing at it. <laughs> right? It's, I go back. Tony Gwynn didn't have access to all of these analytics. He did use tape. He used videotape. But Tony Gwynn said, see the ball, hit the ball. Seems like a pretty simple philosophy for me. From the 636, take it or leave it, this Cardinals prospect core is the best in the last 20 years. I'm going to leave that. A guy, a group, they're going to have to do something. You go back and look at the, the Memphis Mafia. Yeah. That wound up being a really productive group. Maybe not the hype around them no, like they are around some of these guys. It's about winning. That's right. So, uh, and, and I'm trying to think. I don't think there was any more. I mean, look at how Oscar Tavares was hyped. You had Oscar Tavares and Shelby Miller coming up at the same time. I mean, that's big time hype. Right. From the 314, take it or leave it. Assuming that Flaherty and Wayno are the Cardinals' number one and number two starters, the number three starter is currently not on this roster, but will be by the end of the year. I'm going to leave that. I still think that KK is going to wind up being okay. And I do believe KK starts the third game of the season. And if he's healthy after the trade, li- t- trade deadline, he's still the Cardinals' number three starter. But do you think that if the Cardinals are having success and maybe need some pitching help, that they'll add an arm before the end of the year? It's all going to be dependent upon injuries, but the Cardinals are going to look internally. There are injuries. The Cardinals are not going to go out and trade prospects, especially after they traded five for Arenado. When they have Oviedo and Libertor and Zach Thompson sitting down there at the alternate camp or in Memphis. That's just not the way I see them doing things. Perhaps, depending on where he is innings-wise, you go out and get a relief pitcher, which are much easier to acquire, and put Reyes in the rotation. I think that would happen before they would go out and get a number three starter, which is hard to get. From the 314, take it or leave it, Mike Hoffman will be the Blues' leading goal scorer end of the year. I'm going to leave that. I think I might go with Kairou. It's not a bad pick. And Shenner is still scoring, too. Or our guy, David Braun. Oh, that's a great call. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great call. I, I just don't I, I don't see Hoffman getting enough ice time to be able to lead the team for the entire season. And he's been great. You've got Shenner with a dozen. You've got Perron with 10. You've got O'Reilly with eight. Kairou with eight. Hoffman with seven. So uh, here we are halfway through the season, almost, and Hoffman is uh, five behind Shen and three behind Pran. I, I don't see him catching up. From the 636, take it or leave it, analytics in baseball are starting to become overrated. I don't know, I don't know if that's the term. Maybe uh, I, oversaturated? Oversaturated. I think we've swung so far towards the numbers side and aside from the baseball side. And I've always said it's a battle between baseball fans and math fans. Well, one of the problems that baseball has, to me, the biggest problem is that everybody's trying to walk and walks aren't fun to watch. Walks are not attractive. Mm -mm. Do they help you win? Does an on-base help you win? I I just looked up Mike Trout's numbers. Before last year, he had led the American League in on-base percentage four years in a row. You really want Mike Trout walking all the time? No. I want him swinging the bat. And part of the problem, I think, with baseball analytics, 
are a great tool, but they've for many franchises become the the be all and end all. So I don't think they're overrated. I think they do help you win. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, you got to have players making plays. Men, not machines. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text. That's a good last question here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, is Miles Michaelis going to pitch it all for the Cardinals in 2021? We're going to give you our thoughts next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's 8.04 in St. Louis. It'll be 8.05 in 3, 2, 1. Woof. 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle Stephanie dead concern for the Cardinals and any Cardinal fan about the ability of Miles Michaelis to make his first start this season because of lingering arm issues. Now his shoulder is bothering him. Not great. Not great. And this was something that we were worried about when we initially got word that he might not be ready to go and things were getting pushed back. And I'm not holding out hope that we're going to get positive news. I'm kind of bracing myself for impact at this point. And yesterday, before the Cardinals announced that there would be more tests for Michaelis today rather than a bullpen session, Mike Gersh, the Cardinal general manager, joined Dan Mack and BK and talked about whether or not he'd be able to make his first start. Well, I think we're getting to the point where you know, from here, everything has to go perfectly to, for it not to extend into the season, right? So the level of concern is is not high that there's a structural issue, um, but the level of concern that, you know, any other setback is going to make is going to make being on the roster for the first, you know, first trip through the rotation is going to be a, a real challenge. So um, certainly concerned. I mean, <laughs> pitchers in general are concerning. Anytime a pitcher is not pitching, there's legitimate concern. Um, but but from everything we've seen and and, and uh, found so far, there's no no structural issues that that you know cause that like real long term. Then Michaelis played catch, and then after the game, Mike Schilt was asked about the recovery of Michaelis. Yeah, tomorrow's you know some benchmarks. Bader will be back in the lineup. We expect that to be the case. You know, Jordan will be in that B game. Um, you know, Miles is gonna you know you can call it whatever you want. Um, He's, he's not going to throw aside tomorrow. He played catch today, a little more aggressive. And, he, and you know, he's going to get some imaging done. So he's not overly concerned about the imaging. He's not, we're not, you never know, do you look? Um, he's just not progressing and getting that soreness out of his shoulder as, as quickly as here we would like. And, you know, we haven't pushed him to this point. We're not going to push any of our guys. You know, Miles, Miles is frustrated. We're frustrated for him. Um, but, you know, we're going to, continue to let him play some catch, get a little more imaging looking, um, get a look in there to make sure everybody's, you know, what we see is what, what everybody thinks, and then we'll take it from there. So, you know, that will impact his beginning of the season, um, clearly, and um, we're hopeful that it's, you know, a little bit of a blip and just a little bit longer recovery than anybody would hope, but um, he will not throw his side tomorrow. It does have to be incredibly frustrating for when the Warriors put in work and is is ready to pitch, but it does make sense, as Mike Schilk said, to not push it. There's no need to, especially when the Cardinals do have such pitching depth available. But 
I like that they're saying they're not concerned and that all signs point to no structural damage. Me, as a lifelong Cardinals fan, have endured many a situations where the Cardinals say it's no big deal, and then we're looking at mm-hmm. a player being out for an extended period of time, which is why I am thinking that it's not going to be great news and that we might not see Miles Michaelis for a while. And Michaelis is optimistic. He texted Derek Gould of the Post-Dispatch. You can read the story at stltoday.com. And he texted, I'm pretty frustrated. I worked really hard on my elbow and making sure that I was healthy and able to contribute from the get-go. He went on to say, I felt really good in my live BP and the soreness in the front of my shoulder has lingered. I just want to make sure there's nothing structural as I keep going in the process of recovery. I am like you, Michelle, in addition to the fact that we have seen numerous Cardinals over the years who have... Uh, been couched as sunshine lollipop situations. Oh, yeah, they'll be ready early in the season. Mm-hmm. And then they wind up missing this, the whole season yeah. or more. We'll revisit it in two weeks. Right. <laughs> and it's worse with shoulders. Shoulders are dicey. Doctors have figured out elbows. Doctors have not figured out shoulders. And sure, you've had some good stories with guys coming back from shoulders. Roger Clemens is the most notable. But if you look at Mark Mulder with the Cardinals, if you look way back to John Fulgham with the Cardinals, Andy Rincon was a guy whose shoulder got messed up there. There have been so many pitchers that have never recovered from shoulder surgery or shoulder injuries. So if you have to do an MRI today rather than an aggressive bullpen, that's troubling because we talked in the last segment about a number three starter. That's what Miles Michaelis could be. He could be your number three starter if he's healthy. Every injury is different, but anytime I think shoulder, I think Michael Walker. Yeah, there's another one. And they're different. Michael Walker had that scapula, the, right. the what was it called? A uh, Let me look it up because I, I don't remember the name. It was right a stress away. reaction. It was. It was a to, stre- to, the, uh, to the back of the shoulder. It was something that he knew he was going to have to deal with all the time. Exactly. And this is, according to Mike Gersh, there's nothing that they found structurally, no issues structurally with the shoulder. But for those of us that want the Cardinals to succeed, this is a guy that gave them a lot of innings two years ago. And in his first year in the major leagues as a full-time starter, was able to deliver 18 wins in large part because of great command and throwing strike one. And one thing that you lose with a shoulder is command. And it, it would be a real shame, especially because the Cardinals gave him the big contract, if he wouldn't be able to pitch and we mentioned they already lost Gomber. They've already lost Hudson. So now you you would have three starters that are not on the team that you expected to have in January. And it would really be troubling because now you're looking at Martinez and Ponce de Leon in your rotation. That's what I was going to ask you. Okay, so Flaherty, Wainwright, KK. Then who do you have after that? You have yeah. Ponce and Carlos. Carlos, Okay. And then you're probably looking at Jake Woodford as your six, which is not an ideal situation. Then you're going to the kids with Oviedo, with Gant? the two lefties. About... Oh, yeah, John Gant would be in there, too. So Gant's Gant would probably mix. be your number six. Yeah. Woodford, seven. Then you've got the two lefties and Oviedo. So you still have 10 starting pitchers, but Miles Michaelis is a quality starting pitcher. And this always happens. You know, there's always an injury uh, during the season or, or in spring training that's seen unfortunate, and that's what every team anticipates and has to deal with. But when pitching is your strength, and that's the one thing that you feel really comfortable about is pitching and run prevention, mm-hmm. and you have at least one big domino right now that's in question, it's not great. Text from the 704 pointing out that Scott Rowland was never the same after his shoulder injury. Maybe we're turning a corner here, though. Maybe Vladdy will come back and be great after his shoulder. Maybe 
well, um, Zach Sanford has come back from a shoulder injury. Maybe Miles Michaelis will come back from a so- shoulder injury. Maybe we're turning the corner here. 2021, year of the shoulder? Yeah. In a positive way? That's what it's going to be. <laughs> Looking forward to this. Okay. Come on, Miles. Just uh, make sure there's no structural damage. A lot of times what happens, by the way, is that with an elbow injury, you tend to focus so much on that that you don't focus as much on strengthening your shoulder. And Carlos had that issue a couple Mm -hmm. of years ago and was able to, with a a program, a weight program, get back so that he didn't have any tears in the shoulder and now he's throwing hard again. So hopefully that'll be the case. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on Carriker and Smallman. Next up, Jay Billis has a basketball plan for the NCAA tournament that we like a lot. We're going to tell you why we like it so much next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle J. Billis of ESPN is one of the most thoughtful sports people in the industry. In addition to talking about college basketball, which is where his expertise lies, He can talk about any sport, but he's got a great thing at ESPN.com now about a plan for him, and it's called the Billis Plan, to rank the best 68 teams in college basketball and then let them go at it. And this makes so much more sense than what the NCAA does. And he makes light of, Jay does on a regular basis, the lack of (laughs) sense on the part of the NCAA. He points out this year on March 7th, the selection committee meets and puts out its at-large seed list, also known as the Billis Index. This is what the dream scenario would be. The committee ranks eligible teams from 1 to 68. That is the final at-large pool in order based upon the regular season. Then the conference tournaments are for the determination of the automatic bids only. Duke, for example, can't pad its resume with a run in the ACC tournament. Michigan State cannot put another couple of scoops on its Sunday. (laughs) All it can do is win the automatic bid. That's it. The regular season hay is in the barn. Voila. The regular season has its rightful importance, and the little guy has a better chance. Plus, the fan gets two Sundays of enjoyment, the 68-team at-large seed list, and then the full bracket one Sunday later. In between, the bottom teams of the at-large seed list are knocked off one at a time as automatic bids are won. You're welcome, America. (laughs) Now, the cool thing about this is that he not only has your fighting Illini, rightfully, at number four. Actually, they should be number three he at should, worst. Should be higher. But. but he also has Mizzou at number 29. And then the bubble team would be the Billikens at 51. So there would have to be 17 teams that surprised by winning automatic bids in their tournaments, 18 teams to knock the Billikens out. So to me, in the Billis, in three, all three of our local teams would make the NCAA tournament. I think as it stands right now, Both Mizzou and Illinois are in, but I think the Billikens are on the outside looking in, and it would be really difficult for SLU to make the tournament. I hope, though, consideration is given to what SLU had to endure this season because a lot of things that may have disrupted them or contributed to some of those losses were factors that were out of their control. So I hope that that is taken into consideration uh, because they are a good team, and I think that they could be a very interesting tournament team. But I do like this idea from Jay Billis. I like that there would be more importance, and as he mentions, the right importance placed on the regular season. I think that you should go in with every game, especially those early games in the season, knowing that this is building your resume. It's building your resume to uh, be on his quote at large seed list. And I like that the 
tournaments, the, the conference tournaments, would give a chance for other for the little guys, for the bubble mm-hmm. teams to go in there and make their noise. And I do like that there would be two weekends of enjoyments for fans. So I think this is a pretty cool idea. And why should essentially unscheduled games benefit a team? Why, if you are Duke and you have a good day and you play two teams in the ACC tournament rather than just one, why do you get an extra advantage from that. I, I do now. Would I like to see? Would would I like? Would I have liked to have seen SLU advance to the finals of the A10 tournament? Would have given them a whole lot better chance to be an at-large team. But this plan allows for more importance for the regular season, and it, it takes away from winning extra games in the tournament unless you win the title. That's the only advantage you get from succeeding in your conference tournament in your. Uh, championship tournament like Arch Madness or the SEC tournament or the A-10 tournament. I like that. I like that too. And I wonder, March Madness is such a moneymaker and it's such a staple of our sports Mm -hmm. calendar. Even though they've made a few tweaks over the past few years, adding other teams, the play-in games, things of that nature. I wonder how much they, they, the powers that be that would make these decisions, would want to mess with the way things are done now. Even if it does make more sense, and even if looking at the the way that Jay Billis has laid this out, they think from a logical standpoint this is something they should do, I wonder how much they would want to tinker with the current product. Well, if if I am a SLU fan, and they're sitting at number 51, and there's a chance that they could be knocked out, and I've got this week of tournaments, I'm especially with the smaller level ones that probably don't draw very well, I'm keeping a much closer eye on those tournaments than I would wondering whether or not they can be out or in. If I know that they're in unless X happens in X, Y, and Z tournaments, I'm not going to pay as much attention. But I, I, if this were the scenario right now, I would be paying really close attention to a lot of NCAA basketball tournaments at, conference tournaments that I'm not paying attention to. Yeah, it ups the intensity factor. Yeah. So I think it it would draw eyes. I think it would enhance the interest in the tournament. By the way, Billis does have Gonzaga number one, which everybody does, Baylor two, Michigan three, Illinois four. Here's the big ten for you, though. Iowa is number five, Mm -hmm. then Alabama is number six, Houston seven, and then he's got Ohio State number four for the top eight coming out of the big ten. Big Ten basketball this year has been incredible. It's been amazing. Uh, His remaining 10, by the way, remaining teams in the top 10, West Virginia from the Big 12 is number 9, and then Arkansas from the SEC is number 10. And the teams that would have to be battling for spots at the bottom are the teams that you would expect. The the teams kind of like St. Louis University. You've got Western Kentucky. You've got Davidson. You've got Wright State. You've got St. John's, Mike Anderson, former Mizzou coach at St. John's, Mm -hmm. NC State. So uh, Ole Miss, teams that are on the bubble right now are on the bubble on the Billis Index also. Interesting. So I'm saying go for it, NCAA. Listen to them for once. And the money is still there because the tournaments still exist. It just it just adjusts the manner in which the teams are being seeded and the manner in which they're getting at-large bids because that's the first thing that the NCAA or these conferences would be looking at is mm, let's not upset the apple cart from a monetary standpoint. Well, I really think that they could – Increase the ratings of Championship Week. ESPN is going to pay more for more eyes on the product. And like I said, I think that the conference tournaments become more interesting. I think they they could make more money 
if they would do it this way. Well, I was thinking also from a gambling standpoint, too. Oh, big time. <laughs> that this would certainly uh, be of interest to people that would like to wager on the games. If you know that if X team doesn't do well in this specific scenario and there are consequences, that's something that people would like to maybe put some dollars down on. Are you excited at all about your I-L-L-I-N-I? Does it make a difference to you in the Big Ten tournament? Not necessarily, no. I think they'll likely be a number one seed either way. If they would go out and win the Big Ten tournament, great. Sure, we would love that. That would be awesome. But I'm more concerned about the big dance, Randy, the big dance. Ah, you want to win the whole thing, huh? Well, and as we just mentioned, that the Big Ten has been incredible this season. Iron sharpens iron. I think having to play some tough teams in the Big Ten before you get to the tournament isn't a bad thing from a competition standpoint. But if if Illinois comes out and they don't win the Big Ten tournament, am I all of a sudden going to be nervous about them heading into the NCAA tournament? No, I'm not. Okay, good. I like it. I, they have a chip I, on their I, shoulder, though, yeah. right now, Illinois does. Did you read Josh Whitman's letter about the no. fact he put out a a pretty serious letter about Illinois being Big Ten champions and um, about Michigan. They had done win percentage, but Mm -hmm. Illinois is being penalized essentially for playing all of their games while Michigan didn't have all their games and they have a higher win percentage. So he was lobbying for Illinois to be co-Big Ten champions with Michigan. I think that's reasonable. I do too, but he did not get the ruling in his favor. Oh, Illinois playing Friday TBD at 5.30. Mizzou, by the way, will take on Georgia at 6 o'clock, and that game is tomorrow, 6 o'clock Central Time, down in Nicheville, Tennessee. We have, uh, I said it like they do. Say it again. Nicheville, Tennessee. They say Nicheville? Nicheville, yeah. Nicheville. That's that's the way I hear them say it. Not Nashville. Nicheville. Not Nashville. Well, no, they're. That, no, that's Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Louisville. I'm going with Nishil. Uh The fight is coming your way. We're going to have another Ben. We had a Ben yesterday that we, we didn't a, even know we, we were going to have. We surprise Ben yesterday. We did. Today we've got a Ben that knows he's going to be on the fight next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is time for the fight. And once again, we have Ben challenging Randy in today's fight, although it's a different Ben. So, Ben, good morning. Yep. How are you, first of all? Oh, good morning. Wonderful. Happy to be on. And sorry about the mix-up yesterday. We had alerted you that you were going to be coming on the fight, and then Emily accidentally called the wrong number and just so happened to land on someone else named Ben. <laughs> so we didn't On another realize. Ben right there in St. Louis. You know, I was happy once I started hearing the questions because I think you would have had me yesterday with that four. Oh, really? Okay. So maybe this is your lucky day. Maybe you got a, a fight that you can I, win. I'm feeling good today. It's, it's Wednesday, so we're ready. All right, Ben. Well, here's question number one. Happy 50th birthday to St. Louis native John Hamm. Hamm has famously narrated which Amazon NFL documentary series since 2015. Is it All or Nothing, Hard Knocks, or Last Chance You? I'm going uh, Last Chance You. On this day in 1963, MLB's all-time hits leader made his spring training debut. Who was it? Was it Ty Cobb, Pete Rose, or Hank Aaron? 
I'm going uh, the first option. Ty Cobb? Yep. Okay. Question number three for you, Ben. Who has the most walks in Cardinals franchise history with 1,599? Is it Stan Musial, Albert Pujols, or Ina Slaughter? Oh, oh, I'm going to Albert. And who leads the Blues in all-time assists with 721? Is it Brett Hull, Bernie Federico, or Alexander Steen? I'm going to have to go with Bernie. All right, checking our score. Ben, now that you've completed the fight, are you glad you got today's, or would you have preferred yesterday's? <laughs> I would have preferred yesterday there. You know, baseball's not the best for me. Really, what is the Football best? Football and hockey. Football and hockey. Well, you, you did get one hockey question. I tell you what. You didn't do too bad on it. Randy's getting settled in. Randy, say good morning to Ben, the correct Ben today. Hey, correct Ben. How are you doing this morning? Oh, fantastic. Halfway through the workday. Enjoying it. You're already halfway through your workday, so are we. <laughs> yeah, right. it's wonderful. It worked out well. This is the halfway point for us, the fight. It is, yeah. That's right. I never thought of it that way. Fun halfway point. Fun turn. All right, Randy, question number one. Happy 50th birthday to St. Louis native John Hamm. Hamm has famously narrated which Amazon NFL documentary series since 2015? Amazon. I don't remember the name of it, so... So not that famous is what you're telling me? Right. <laughs> but I know the first one was with the Cardinals. So I'll do the lifeline because I know what it is. I just don't remember it. Is it all or nothing? Hard Knocks or Last Chance You? Uh, it's not Hard Knocks. And I don't believe it's Last Chance You. So I'll go with All or Nothing. On this day in 1963, MLB's all-time hits leader made his spring training debut. Who was it? In 1963? So Pete Rose made his debut in 19... 19- Is that what we're saying? He wasn't the all-time hits leader then. He made his debut. So I'm going to go with Pete Rose. Okay. Randy, question number three. Who has the most walks in Cardinals franchise history with 1,599? 1,599 walks. I'm going to say Albert. And who leads the Blues in all-time assists with 721? 721. Bernie Federico. Emily, ring the bell. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Randy's just on a quest to beat every Ben in the Metro the Metro <laughs> East, apparently. Uh, because he did beat you, Ben. Sorry, Randy comes out on top three to one. So let's run through our answers. John Hamm has narrated All or Nothing since 2015, which is an Amazon NFL documentary series. On this day in 1963, Pete Rose made his spring training debut. He is the MLB's all-time hits leader with 4,256 hits. Stan Usual has the most walks in Cardinals franchise history with 1,599. And Bernie Federico leads the Blues in all-time assists with 721. Ben, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Hey, y'all have a good one. Thanks for winning. All right. Take care. That's Ben on 101 ESPN, and that is the fight. Coming up, ESPN's Jeff Passan is the best insider in baseball, and he'll join us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And the preeminent 
baseball insider is Jeff Passan of ESPN, and he's with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with uh, Randy and Michelle. Jeff, it's great to have you with us this morning. How are you doing? Hey guys, if I'm if I'm the preeminent baseball insider, why didn't I make your desert island teams? Oh, are you talking about my podcast, Jeff, where we picked houses for ESPN personalities? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking okay. about. I felt uh I gotta be honest, I felt uh felt a little slighted there. You I'm have sorry. been, Michelle. Explain yourself. Jeff, you were on my big board, trust me. You were there. I would love to get you in the Airbnb for 72 hours. Maybe we have some cocktails. Maybe you tell me some things off the record. That would be outstanding. But I also... I, I got I to gotta be, be honest. Your house looks much more appealing than Randy's. Oh, than Randy's got. Thank you. So just to give everybody the insight here. So it was myself, Randy Scott from SportsCenter AM and Steve Cerruti, my co-host on the podcast. And we had to draft Hangover Style. So you and three other people, four total, ESPN personnel that you would want to be on vacation with in an Airbnb for 72 hours. So Rudy picked Taylor Twellman, Diana Rossini, and Damian Woody. Randy Scott went out, Alex Rodriguez out the gate, and Marty Smith and Lewis Riddick. I went L. Duncan, Scott Van Pelt, and then Peyton Manning. Rounded out with Peyton Manning. And Jeff, honestly, now that we're here, I would love to sub you in for Peyton Manning. He has a lot of star power. I think I, that's exactly, you know what, that's all I wanted to hear right there. That's it, that, like, my, my day is totally made there because, like, L and Scott would be a phenomenal hang. Like, that's a great house. We would laugh all weekend. There would be some cocktails served. Like, yes. that would be a very enjoyable time. The male-to-female ratio, the balance there would be good. <laughs> Rand- Randy Scott is, is a crazy person. I, I, I have a bone to pick with him. I really do. So you're telling me you don't think he was wise in selecting Alex Rodriguez first in his house? Here's the thing. If he wants, like, uh, maybe he wanted to meet J-Lo. He did. That's but... exactly why he picked it. <laughs> okay. Okay. That, okay. okay. that makes and, sense. It, 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 and, and also, Alex has so much more money than I ever will. So his house might be really nice. Like, Alex might go to the house and say, I'm not going to stay in this piece of crap. Let's go to a real house and and get like the the best house that there is. So I suppose there's some strategery involved there, but got to pick on the people, you know. No offense to Alex, but I uh, I mean I'd rather hang out with me. No doubt, Jeff Passan is with us. Hey Jeff, it was one year ago Friday, this coming Friday, that the Cardinals were playing the Marlins. Baseball announced during the game that they were going to suspend spring training. Then the Cardinals and Marlins just kept playing. They they, they don't know why. How do you think baseball <laughs> has done? <laughs> How do you think they've done in this year? I, I remember that day. By the way, I was in Glendale, Arizona, at uh, Dodgers camp, and and was just frantically on my phone all day trying to figure out like not just what's going on but why are they still playing and this was right uh you know right in the shadow of rudy gobert um and i i think since that day and and really since the end of last season after the cardinals and marlins outbreaks baseball's done a pretty good job and i i think the proof is in the testing, right? If you go and look at the testing that they've done and the number of players 
uh, and personnel who have tested positive compared to the general public, I think Major League Baseball actually has a lower rate, which is to be expected probably with all of the protocols that they have in place. Protocols uh, have been restrictive enough that some players have been inclined to completely ignore them. But by and large, players and team personnel have done a really good job of adhering to them, and I think that's a big part of the reason why baseball has been played, uh, you know, for the 60 games last season. And uh, we're looking at not just a full 162 games this year, but a full 162 games with more fans than I think probably anyone anticipated. Jeff, in addition to the Cardinals in the NL Central, one of the stories we're going to be keeping an eye on this season is Tony La Russa's return to managing. And there's a lot of consternation in some circles about becoming a manager again and how he might adapt to this young team and to the game again. So do you have any early reports on how things are going for Tony La Russa and the White Sox? I mean, you know, spring training so far is so good. But just as I say about any hitter who's hitting 500 in spring training, it's spring training. You know, when the ru- when the rubber hits the road in the regular season, uh, when the White Sox go through a rough patch, um, when we get a sense of how he handles individual players, um, uh, especially younger ones, I think we're going to know then whether Tony Larusa is up for this or not. Um, I was I was certainly critical of the hire. I thought that there were better options out there, and I, I never personally like a system uh, in which someone is rewarded more than anything for being friend uh, of a person in a position of power. And Tony Larusa got the job because he's been a close friend of Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, for a long time. That being said, I, I don't sit here and think. He can't be a good manager. Um, Tony Russa has been a great manager in the past, and replicating that, it, it's it's going to be tough, but uh, by no means is it impossible. And, Jeff, you mentioned whether or not Tony is up for the job. I wonder if once they hit that adversity, if the players of 2021 are going to be up for Tony's intensity on a day-to-day basis. The, the player of today is a lot different than the player of 10 years ago, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, But I I also, uh, look, I also think that the way, not just baseball, Randy, but I think the way that sports is run right now, um, it's a player-driven culture. And it's on the manager to adapt, not on the players. It's a a reversal of how things were, and, and that's part of, uh, my skepticism about the hire of Tony Lewis in the first place, he comes from a bygone era where the manager didn't just run like the clubhouse. The manager ran the team and, and the executive power that's in place these days um, it far exceeds that of managerial power. And so adjusting to something like that is a very difficult thing to do. Jeff, perhaps the player of today is Fernando Tatis Jr. You've had great pieces on him and really explores the depth of him as a person and a player. He signs that big extension. He's 22 years old. We know about the flair. We know about the bat flips. We know about the the breathtaking plays. But I love that you talk about him playing winter ball and how he's out on a farm milking cows. He just seems like a player that is so interesting and has so many layers to him. And I just wonder if we've set the bar too high for him, if that there's no chance that he's going to be able to maintain this throughout his career. Sure. I mean, that's a, that is absolutely a possibility, but 
I, you know, and maybe this is an outlier that I'm pointing to, but I look at LeBron James, who was the most hyped athlete we may have ever had, and he exceeded the hype, and he remained a a good person who is contributing great things to society and has, by all accounts, been a good father and has led as normal a life as you can lead for being probably one of the most five most famous people on the planet. And it, listen, Tatis is never going to reach those levels because he plays baseball and LeBron plays basketball and basketball is so much more international sport than baseball. But uh, I think Tatis is off to a good start. Uh, the, the biggest question uh, with him for me is production wise on the field. Can he keep it up? Remember, we still haven't seen him for a full 162 game season. He missed the second, you know, a lot of the second half of his first year with injuries and had a 60-game year last year. Uh, that's a whole lot of speculation to bank $340 million guaranteed on. But uh, the Padres believe in Tatis as a person as well as a ball player, and because of that, they were willing to go out there. And if someone's willing to go out on a limb like that, I think it speaks to who Fernando Tatis Jr. is and what he's capable of. And Jeff, he's already got several endorsements. And as you mentioned, we can reasonably expect that even if he doesn't live up to the contract, he's going to be great. Is Major League Baseball yep. prepared to have a new face? Are they prepared to utilize a guy like Tatis as somebody who can help market their sport? I just dropped off my 13-year-old at school. I live in Kansas City, and he was wearing a shirt with Tatis on it. <laughs> so... Uh, and and granted, my my son plays baseball. He loves baseball, um, and so I I suppose he's going to gravitate toward Fernando Tatis just because it's impossible to watch him and not smile and not appreciate it. Even like a, a crotchety, crusty old guy who wants baseball back in the Bob Gibson era, where guys who flip their bats are getting brushed back has to look at Tatis and say, like, damn, that kid's good. Like, I may not like some of the things he does, but he is extraordinarily talented. And uh, if baseball is not in a position, Randy, to capitalize on that, um, then baseball's got a really big problem because uh, Tatis is a gift in that regard. He is everything you want in 2021 from a star. He is young. He is talented. He has a good personality. He is bilingual. He, I, I mean, he checks every single box. And, and so if baseball can't figure out how to market him, it won't ever figure out how to market anyone. And perhaps in the next CBA, baseball and the players will come to an agreement as to how to get younger players money like he got. Obviously, the focus here is Jack Flaherty. And Jack, he's a highly motivated guy, but he is money motivated. He wants to make a lot of money. Do you think the Cardinals should expect that if they're going to be able to keep him long term, that they're going to have to give him a $300 million contract at some point? Um, I mean, there's been one $300 million contract in the history of pitchers and it went to Garrett Cole, who was entering into free agency as arguably, uh, the most decorated free agent of all time in terms of pitchers. Um, so just looking at pure numbers, I, I don't think 
Jack Flaherty is in line to get $300 million. But he's got a lot of commonalities with Cole in terms of feeling, in terms of having a little stumble like he had last year. And granted, it was mainly one bad start, but it was not the second half of the year before. But having the potential to be absolutely phenomenal. And and I think I, I, I want to get one thing clear. I don't think Jack Flaherty is your guy who is purely motivated by money. No, I don't I, think that's fair to I, say that. I agree. Um, he's, I, I he, think... I just knowing him, he's he he is motivated anyway, but he does desire to make a lot of money. He wants to take advantage of a system that's making a lot of money and enrich himself because yes. owners are being enriched. That's right. So do I. Um, and he wants he wants respect too. And and I think the frustration of this offseason um, and and going to an arbitration hearing that that he ultimately won. Uh, was was the feeling that there was just you know there was a lack of mutual respect there and uh, that how that plays out over time it's very interesting to see what players' feelings are toward teams when they go to an arbitration hearing that uh, you know a a person from the outside could look at and say why are they going to this hearing like there there's just there's no reason for this. There are some hearings that are there for precedential reason, uh, precedent reasons. Um, there are some he- hearings that are there because there's just beef between the club and the player, and, and they want to air it out. Uh, Flaherty going to a hearing was a surprise, and uh, he, he's not the kind of guy, I think, who forgets. So it's going to be interesting to see the consequences of that as time goes on. And it's it's only going to matter really if he turns into the guy he was in the second half mm-hmm. uh, of the 2019 season when he was the best pitcher really in the world. Jeff, before we let you go, we have to get your observations on the Cardinals heading into the 2021 season. Uh, do you think that they are the leaders in the pack for the division, World Series contenders? What do you think? I I, I was shocked that we were going to get through an entire segment without <laughs> that question, so I appreciate you asking that. Of course. Um, I, I think the Cardinals are... Uh, very lucky they play in the National League Central. Um, their their rotation worries me, and they had a chance to go out and sign Jake Odorizzi, uh, who I really think is exactly what they need. Innings pitched, um, you know, 165 a year for the six years leading up to last year, 30 starts a year. When you don't know what you're getting from Michaelis, when you're not sure what you're getting from Kim, when Adam Wainwright, uh, who was phenomenal in recent years, but is old uh, when when you have Flaherty, who may be innings limited this season. Carlos Martinez is a giant wild card. Alex Reyes is a reliever. Ponce de Leon's never done it for a season. You guys, but how many do you have that you can rely on? I think that's the big question Cardinals fans are asking themselves right now, and it's a reasonable one. That being said, who's going to beat them in the Central? Maybe the Brewers? Don't think it's going to be the Cubs? Uh Certainly not going to be the Pirates. Uh, don't think it's going to be the Reds without Bauer. So uh, I, I look at them right now as the central favorites, but I don't see them going much further than that. Hey, Jeff, Brad Thompson on our afternoon show does a great imitation of Albert Pools. We don't know if Albert is aware that BT does it. I noticed that Elmo is on Twitter. Have you com- communicated with Elmo? And is he aware that you do the imit- imitation? 
I have not been in touch with the person who does the Elmo voice, and that's a great oversight by me. So I feel like now I do know someone who uh, who works at Sesame Street, and and I feel like that's maybe like a Sports Center commercial. So uh, I I appreciate I appreciate the inspiration there. And I'm not going to bust the voice out right now. I, uh, it feels like you were pushing me in that direction, I right? Was. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold out on that for now because a little too much Elmo uh, is a lot, <laughs> and, and and I gotta, I gotta be very judicious with how I use it. Totally, uh, totally but understand. I, uh, you, you know, if I if I come back sometime, perhaps uh, perhaps I can uh, give you a little Elmo. We'll make sure that we make that happen. Jeff, thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Have a great rest of spring training, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Look forward to uh, seeing you at the house, Michelle. Take care. See you, Jeff. I'll (laughs) bring the cocktails. Jeff Passan, ESPN and 3M Baseball Insider, who did not make a house. There were only nine spots available. Was he your number 10 at least? He was on the big board. Absolutely on the big board. Because, well, Jeff seems like such a fun guy anyway. Don't know him personally. I'm just reading radio chats like this. But... Imagine having some cocktails with Jeff and then saying, we're in the house. No one's going to know. Tell me the truth about X story. Whatever the story is you want to know, he's got the dirt. And he, he knows. He really did scout that house out well. He, did. he knew everything about how great that house could be. Well, I think I won this, Randy. No disrespect to Saruti or to Randy Scott because we love all the members in their house. But L. Duncan, Scott Van Pelt, and Peyton Manning. Who doesn't want to hang out in that house? That's pretty impressive. It's a pretty good house. Yeah. And my my entire strategy was just the vibe check. Who do I know is going to come in here? I'm be able to chop it up. Maybe sit outside on the patio, have a few cocktails. Would be okay with whatever we decide to do as a, as a collective. And I think all three of those fit the bill. You 100 percent have the house. Thank you, you won. Thank you, Randy. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we heard yesterday from Kyle McClellan, and we'll, we will again about how valuable Yadier Molina is to the Cardinals off the field. And we're going to provide you a little bit more insight into that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 904 in St. Louis with Character and Smallman. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And we were talking to Kyle McClellan yesterday about what he was able to do as he made his way to the major leagues. And one of the things was the incredible presence of Yadier Molina behind the plate. And it's there are things that everybody sees that just make everybody feel better about being a Cardinal because they have number four on their side. And one of those things, Michelle, happened in Sunday's game against Houston. Start of spring, but the second one for Jack went a lot better. Runner goes, and it's not even close. What a throw by Yachty. Well, this is fun. So here's the pickoff. Watch the runner's reaction. No, 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 no. This is our Budweiser play of the game. He gave him the Matumbo wave. Yachty said, okay, go ahead. Try to go to second. Well, good luck. Again, down, down to second base and got him stealing. Why would you ever tempt him? Why would you ta- Why would you taunt him? And why would you ever tempt him? Because you know he's going to throw you out. You do not. I don't care who you are. You don't have a shot there. It just makes no sense. Maybe it was kind of like the young hockey player trying to win a fight in training camp. 
to be the best, you got to beat the best. But Siri had no chance to beat Yadier Molina. No, it doesn't matter what stage of his career Yadier Molina is. You know that he can still pop up and get that perfect throw to second with a quickness. And players past and present noticed, including Kyle McClellan. Well, I think there's a young guy that just learned a lesson. You don't ever taunt him. <laughs> would be, That's right. Would be a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good start. Uh, look for for me. I can I can speak for a kid coming in in 2008, trying to make a team, and and all of a sudden I found myself, you know, pitching the Yachty in games, and um, that to me was like that's a huge compliment because you know Yachty would stay in after the starter catch me, and then he would come out. And that's when I started realizing, like, hey, I might have a chance here. You know, like, if Yachty's catching me in games, I think that's a good sign. But but what he does for the young guys is he, he forces you and pushes you to do things you might not be comfortable with, but you're going to have to do it if you're going to pitch at this level. So he's not going to adapt to your style in spring training. He's going to say, hey, kid, I know the stuff you have. This is what you're going to have to do to pitch at this level. Let's see if you can do it. So here's a first-pitch curveball, you know, with a guy on first and second right now in a huge situation. Let's see if you can throw it for a strike. Or let's see if you can throw this this changeup behind in the count in a two-one count when normally in double A AA or triple A you're throwing a fastball every time. That's not how we do things here in the big leagues. And so he changes your mindset and thinking. But also what it does is it takes all the thought process process out of it for the young guys. You don't have to think. You just have to follow what he does and you have to execute. Now the execute's the hardest part. You know we talked about that earlier. The the philosophy and the style isn't the hardest thing. Can I do what he's asking me to do, and can I do it consistently? And that's the difference between a guy in AA, AAA, and a guy at the major league level. I take a couple of things out of that, and it was just a a great answer by Kyle McClellan. Number one, like a a great coach, Yachty is getting his pitchers to do things they don't think they can do. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it is, is once you get into that mindset, not having to think is a huge thing for a pitcher because that's what gets in trouble is thinking. Well, if Yachty's doing all the thinking for you, you just make it a physical game and you execute your pitches and you're going to win or lose that way based upon your physical abilities rather than having to think. How long have the Cardinals had incredible pitching depth? How long have the Cardinals had so many young pitching prospects that come up and see success at the big league level? And how much of that is due to Yadier Molina? Certainly credit goes to the organization for being able to scout and procure these guys. But Yadier Molina is such a big ingredient to the formula of the Cardinals' success and has been because of everything just outlined by Kyle McClellan. You know that he has done his research and he knows exactly what you can do and exactly what the hitter can do. And because he's been doing this for so long, as a pitcher, as you mentioned, you don't have to think about it. You just go with whatever Yadier's throwing down and there's nobody better and baseball to guide you through this outing than the person that you have right there that you can put 100% of your faith and your trust into. And then I also think about the work component. If you're a young pitcher coming in or any any position player really and with the Cardinals and you see someone with the status of a Yadier Molina being the first guy in, last guy out, and during his offseason running twice a day, several keys to make sure he's conditioned and always watching video, he just sets such a great example and he really sets the standard for the Cardinals. Right. And just think about the idea of being a young pitcher. Young pitchers generally don't have great command of their curveball. You've got two runners on, nobody out. You're sitting in spring training. You're thinking, okay, I got two runners on, nobody out. I'm throwing a fastball. I'm going to try to get ahead of this hitter. And Yadi's calling for a curve. Uh, how much confidence does that give you that, A, if you can do it, and then, B, if you do it, it's going to change one pitch like that. Can Obviously, Kyle remembers it. It can change a career. Absolutely.
he's he's so brilliant on so many different levels. He really is. And now he's going to have, as we saw the other day with Siri, the throw down to first with Goldschmidt. Now he's got a gold glover that can do similar things at third base. And on MLB Network, Nolan Arenado was asked about having Yachty as a teammate. You're right about that. I mean, his intensity is through the roof, and uh, it's it's been an unbelievable to be a part of you know a part of this team with him. And uh, I'm just happy he's back. Um, but uh, it's just incredible to be around a guy like him who shows up early for early work almost every day. Um, gets here so early, works hard. Um, he's doing early work with the young catchers, blocking balls at like seven in the morning, and just just incredible to watch. And uh, it pushes me to get better. And uh, yesterday during the game. Some uh, prospect on the Astros shook his hand at him, like, you ain't going to throw me out. And then he ended up throwing him out. And uh, it's just cool, man. And then he was all fired up. It was just, man, just watching him work and stuff behind the plate and playing the game. It's one of the best things uh, I've seen in a long time. You, you might have a race between these two, Yachty and Nolan Arenado, to see who can be in the locker room first get, and out on the field first. Okay. I'm going to expand that conversation of hard workers on the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright is in the mix there. Yes. Paul Goldschmidt in the mix. You have Yachty, Jack Flaherty, certainly mm-hmm. a hard worker. As you mentioned, Arenado. We spoke to Dylan Carlson on this show, what was it, last week? And I asked him what he enjoyed outside of baseball, and he, he said eating. He couldn't come <laughs> up with anything else because he loves baseball yep. that much. So many guys on this team enjoy the game and enjoy the work that has to be put in to be great so many of these players want to be great they're chasing greatness and that's something that's been passed down through the cardinals generation after generation and it makes me happy to know that nolan arenado is already adapting has already possessed those qualities and is already adapting to that within the cardinals organization and that you have young guys that take on that that same mindset as well should make you or even a better 2021 Cardinal season. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend, Coach Travis Ford of the Billikens, will be with us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And always great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line when Travis Ford, the head coach at St. Louis University, is on the other end. Coach, good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, guys. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. Thank you. Hope everybody's doing well. Everybody's doing well, and we always enjoy talking to you. All right, there's a perception that that I have right now that all that the Billikens can do is sit back and wait for Selection Sunday. We know that uh, you at least had the thought of getting another game before Selection Sunday. Where does that stand? Do you have a chance of getting one? Well, it's interesting, Randy. It really is. Um, Right now, it doesn't look good, but you know, what we've done, and I'm sure we're going to get into, you know, why we think we should be in, but we have been looking for a game. We've been actively on the phone since Sunday, but we've also been trying to take uh, advice from a lot of people who we think know uh, what they're talking about, who do we need to play or whether we need to play. And it's, it's kind of a game of risk versus reward a little bit. Um, and right now we've, we've had a couple teams, we've reached out to actually several teams and 
pretty much all of them, but one or two um, said no, they didn't want to play uh, us. We had one that we thought would be the perfect candidate because we thought they might need it too, but they didn't have any more non-conference games left. You're only allowed to play nine non-conference games this year. We played eight because our Evansville game got canceled the day of the game. Uh, but this other team um, had already played their nine games, but uh, they wanted to play. So with all that said, it, it's not looking good that we're probably going to play a game. And a lot of people we're talking to probably have, lit, have, have leaned on the side of we probably don't need to play a game. I would also think they're looking at risk versus reward as well and probably don't want to play you guys. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I've used that a little bit in my argument of why I think, you know, trying to state our case uh, of why I think we should be in is, you know, if it comes down to three to four teams, we all look alike or whatever it is as far as our numbers and things like that, who who would the coaches meet and everybody, who would they say, well, they, that's probably the team no one wants to play. To me, that says a lot. And I think we would, I think we would be that type team that people would say, you don't want to see that team. But you even go further deeper into it, you know, we're seven and one and we go on a 23 day heading into conference play 23 days with no practice, none, 11 players test positive. So I have equated it guys. I've equated it to every year. You guys would agree to this. You hear the committee and different people talk about, well, so-and-so team, they got in, even though they lost two or three games, they had their best player hurt. So we're not going to kind of count those games or whatever. Well, we more, more or less had 11 players who were sick. And our only two bad lo- our only bad losses were two games, and they're called quad threes. The only bad losses we had were the two games straight out of COVID. After being off 23 days, 34 days in between games, and only having four days to practice. That's our only bad losses. So if you just take out one of those, we're for sure in. But even both those, uh, I think you've got to take in consideration as well. As since that point, we've won seven of our last ten games. Coach, is there anything else that you would throw into your full pitch if you could pitch yourselves to the selection committee? Yeah, that, obviously. And I think they, hopefully for sure, just, just being a different type year, take that in consideration. But we have, like I mentioned, we have won seven of our last ten games. Um, you know, a couple of those quad one victories against good teams. The team that just beat us last, St. Bonaventure, who's a really good team. They were the number one seed in the tournament. Uh, we had just beaten them about two weeks prior, 10 days to two weeks prior uh, by 11. Um, you know, so, you know, we had proven ourselves. Uh, we'd beaten LSU. We'd beaten NC State. You know, obviously these things are non-conference. Um, all of our numbers, if you take – I don't know if you guys have seen this graphic. It's kind of floating around on the uh, Twitters and things like that. If you take all the bubble teams, and there's probably about eight to ten of us, and you average all the net, you average Ken Palm, you average all these statistical sites, and you average them all together, we lead, and it's really not even close um, if you average them all together. So from that standpoint, we think we've got a great case Uh, You just don't know exactly what they're going to be looking for this season. Coach, I I look at your career so far at St. Louis University. 
And I, you have not had a lot of luck. How much does luck play into being a successful team year to year? Not not a program, but just year to year quality teams. Well, I, I think it, it requires a lot of it. A lot of times, you hear that from everybody. You know, it always requires a little luck to get you know to go your way. Um, you know, I thought uh, you know we had a few things. The year we went to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, late in the year, we had some things go our way. Um, but last year, we thought we were one of the hottest teams in the country uh, at this time. And we had all the stats and the wins to, to back that up. And then obviously COVID hit and, you know, we, we thought we had a great chance to win the tournament. But anybody, it's easy to say that. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, you always need a few things to go your way, no matter how great a team you have uh, or whatever it may be. I think anybody who's won big, whether it be in professional sports or any type tech well, yeah, or, or business or anything, uh, you always need something, a few things to go your way that might be out of your control sometimes. Coach, hopefully we get to see Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French in the tournament. But if not, looking back, what have those two players meant to this program? Well, they've meant a lot, um, a whole lot. You know, they kind of uh, came when things weren't great here. They, You know, we were taking over a program that had kind of been struggling quite a bit. You know, the two seasons prior to us getting here, finished, you know, at the bottom of the league. And, you know, they, they kind of took a chance and 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 you know, believed in the vision, believed in the dream that we had and what we could accomplish here. Um, you know, they've been four-year starters. They've got all the, you know, a lot of different records and things like that, but also uh, a lot of wins under their belt, a lot of wins. Um, again, their last two seasons have been different in a lot of ways. You know, I think we won 22 or 23 last year, but did not get to play in the conference tournament. And then this year has been different in the fact that it was a much shortened season for a lot of reasons. You know, an extreme limited amount of fans in shape its arena and things like that. Um, so I hate it for them that they didn't get to experience the, you know, a normal college career, uh, especially their senior year. You know, these guys have, uh, you know, kind of put our program back on the map. Like I said, led us to an NCAA tournament. Uh, we've been ranked in the top 25, the AP polls and all that. And obviously they were a big part of that. Travis, you've played with and coached NBA players. What would Jordan need to do to make an NBA roster? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I think he'll have a chance. Uh, you know, he, he's got to continue, as he knows, to continue to knock down that open shot, which he's really works hard on every day, and he can do it. Uh, he's got a great-looking shot, and he's improved his three-point percentage pretty much every year. Uh, that's going to be important. Continue to just make sure he stays in great shape, foot speed, things like that, because, you know, at the next level, he's probably, you know, he's got to prove he can guard multiple positions, which he's done uh, for sure here, uh, you know, and, and, and find that position and say, all right, what are the one or two great things? NBA players, you make the NBA – because you you better be able to do one thing great, great. All right, I'm going to be a re. I'm going to be a defender. I'm a knockdown shooter. I'm a score. Uh, you know, he can go in and prove that he can guard anybody. Uh, he can handle the ball at his size. He can play multiple positions for his big, strong body. Uh, I've equated him a lot to like Marcus Smart. He's just a winner. He's going to do a little bit of everything. But I think if he's love, he can just say, all right, I'm going to be. When I get in the game, I'm going to lock down my guy 
if he can prove that, I think he'll give us, you know, he'll have a shot. Some of the best rebounders in history, and I look at Dennis Rodman as an example, are not the tallest or most physical guys, but they just appear to have that instinct to know where the ball's going to come out and the the angle. I look at Jordan, and granted, he's only 6'3", but he seems to have that instinct of knowing where the ball is going to be coming off the rim before it hits it. Oh, absolutely, for sure. And that's just uh, a God-given ability. Uh, And you're a thousand percent correct. He's got a great feel for the game, a great nose for the ball, um, and and that's uh, you know again being I've seen it a, a very, from very few players, but I've seen it before, and those are just things that some people have it, some people don't. And the other thing that he has, not just a feel, he's got a great feel, great knack, but he has a great desire, a great desire to go get the ball. Um, you know, and every, you know, everybody should have that put for you with that effort and the physicality. He does not, as we all know, he doesn't mind, uh, you know, getting in there and uh, getting his nose dirty a little bit. And, you know, uh, he's got a physical body. He doesn't mind the physical play whatsoever. And some people, you know, they're not all into that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Travis, a couple more quick things. Number one, we watched Rick Majerus build this program at one point. I'm a big devotee of the the way he built with uh, senior, senior, junior, sophomore, freshman. Tom Izzo's had success with that. People are actually down on Coach Cal in Kentucky right now because of the one and dones. Where where do you feel you are with your program in terms of being where you want to be in staggering your classes and and having a, a leadership group step up every year and a new group coming in every year yeah you know it's interesting i talked a lot about that before the season started and that's one of the things that excited me about our team and our program you know you know we we were uh had had great expectations picked high in our league and the vast majority of our players are underclassmen on our team um you know we had three seniors one has already decided to come back and javante perkins um, and, you know, uh, and four seniors and, and Josh Hightower. But, um, and then we've got some young players on our team that are, that are contributing um, and, and playing significant minutes that they'll continue to step into bigger roles uh, next season. Uh, so I like the balance of our team. Uh, but uh, what you're about to see is, go- you know, is going to change, uh, I think, uh, recruiting rosters like never ever before in college basketball if they open up the nut if you transfer you don't have to sit out Mm -hmm. uh it's going to become extremely extremely difficult to roster to manage a roster and have those incoming classes where you're building and things like that because you know uh you know i just believe we're in a society everybody wants instant success right now and if you don't get it they'll move on to somewhere else especially if it's easy to do um so you know, it's going to become even a greater challenge, but, you know, everybody's going to be on the, you know, it's going to be the same for everybody. And then final thing, Travis Ford, we appreciate your time. Will you assemble the team for selection Sunday? How will you treat Sunday when the selections are revealed? Uh, you might ask me that on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, uh, you know it's, a, it, it's interesting. I have thought about it. I have talked to you guys, actually, the first people I've talked to about this at all, but I've thought about it myself. Um, I'm not a big proponent, probably, unless you know you're in. I, I really probably not. Um, I think we'll start getting a better picture of where we're at starting about Saturday morning. There's got a there's a lot that's going to need for up and us in the next starting today, as we all know, bubble teams, different teams like that. What starts happening in the next couple of days? 
I think we'll start uh, getting a clearer picture come Saturday, um, and then I'll make that decision uh, probably late Saturday. But if we're if I don't feel like we're solid, or if I don't feel like we have a really good chance, probably not. You know, um, it's always an awkward moment. Uh, mm-hmm. I think as you see them on TVs and different things. Uh, you know, so but that's a good question. I'm going to wait till Saturday to make the decision. But you know, if we if we do something like that. Uh, you know, we're probably most likely, if we don't get in the tournament, most likely, in, you know, in the NIT, um, and we'll figure out what's next. I told our team a couple of the last couple of days, we are, we do have another game, hopefully, I believe. So, uh, you know, we get a chance to prove ourselves uh, and, and feel better about ourselves because we don't feel good about the last game we played. Travis Ford, you're generous with your time with us. We do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you get that call on Sunday, but hopefully we'll uh, get to see your team at least yeah. one more time in 2021. Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot. All right, Travis. Thank you. That is Travis Ford, head coach at St. Louis University on 101 ESPN. I wish that we could cut that audio of him laying out the case for SLU and send it to the right. the decision makers here because he's absolutely right. This is a team that not a lot of people would want to play. They could be a very interesting tournament team. And so many things were working against them this season that were out of their control. And I think that really does need to be taken into consideration. And when you're trying towards up towards your conference season, they played a game against UMKC on December 23rd. They played again the next time on January 26th and then had another game canceled. They played one game between December 23rd and February 3rd. One game. Wow. So the last week of December, all of January, half of the first week of February, and you only got to play once. Plus you had a game postponed on February 27th. So they did pretty well under some tough circumstances. Coming up. Next here on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We always look forward to this. It's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, have you heard the latest on Stan Kroenke being a terrible person? I have not. I'm shocked. (laughs) Shocking. So we know that he likes to amass land. He likes to play the game of Monopoly, the actual game of Monopoly, where he buys as much land as possible. Well, he owns the largest ranch in Canada. It's called the Douglas Lake Cattle Company, or Douglas Lake Ranch. And this is an area of land that is bigger than the Metro Vancouver area. It's very big, very big. It fully surrounds the water. And there was this big debate going on. It was actually a decades long legal battle about Stan Kroenke and this property because he wanted to keep the public away from the lakes in on his property and they can only be reached by going through his property. So basically this group, it's called the Nicola Valley Fish and Game Club. It's a local nonprofit which is dedicated to wildlife management in the area. They sued the ranch so that they could open the throughways and their argument was that the trail had historic significance which dates back all the way to its use by an indigenous village and that Canadian citizens have a right to access this public land. So in 2018, a British Columbia Supreme Court actually sided with this recreational group, but Cronky, of course, 
Congress pressed on. He appealed. And on Friday, the higher court overturned this 20, overturned the 2018 ruling and banned Canadians from trespassing on these two paths getting to the lake. And so the the quote is the entire club and most of the residents of the Nicola Valley can't believe that one court of appeals can, with the stroke of a pen, wipe out a 20-day Supreme Court trial of ruling. He swiped out 10 years worth of research and work all for the benefit of one rich American. And this is just a really sad story because it's this non-for-profit group that loves the land. They love the, the wildlife there. They want to preserve it. And Stan Kroenke wants nothing to do with them. And in reading about it, um, it's a lot of money for this group to go into a legal battle, obviously, with Stan Kroenke. And they've been doing fundraisers and things to try to, try to get the money for this all to, in the end, have a losing battle. I'm really surprised because he's such a thoughtful, friendly, caring guy. And you would think that he would want to share some of that largesse with others. Let them enjoy the nature and let them enjoy the lake that they've been going to for basically a century. Why not let them do that? And I'm sure if they would have just asked nicely that he would have said, oh, sure, this is why I do this. I want to make people happier. I want to make people's lives better. So, Michelle, I got to tell you, I'm really surprised that Enos would do this, not like he did with his ranch. I believe it was in Texas, right, Randy? Where he kicked the residents off. Yeah. yeah. Residents that have lived there for 50 years, yeah. bought the ranch mm-hmm. and said, yeah, we just want to maintain the tradition of the ranch and right. the previous ownership and we're going to ma- do things the exact same way. And one of the things that the owner in Texas had done is allow these people to live there because they were basically indigent, but they had built homes on the land their own homes on somebody else's land and Crocky kicked them all off. Here's the worst part about it. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. This environmental nonprofit group the judges in the appeal determined that the organization has to pay Stan Cronkey's legal fees for his appeal and they already owed a couple hundred thousand dollars on their own for their own legal bills and now they have to pay Stan Cronkey's and they had been supporting these legal fees with um, raffles and things like that. It's picnics and raffles. They've been trying to in any way get money to pay for this so that they can enjoy this land and now they have to pay Stan Cronkey's legal bills. What a scoundrel. Just a, an awful human being the worst absolute worst and i would hope that some rich canadian will pay those legal fees for those people i hope somebody will step up or some other and will step up and pay those legal fees i i would hope so but i don't know who's going to do that because don't you think if someone with the means to do that was on their side that they might have intervened already now that it's over and now the story is out there in public and and a big thing maybe somebody will swoop in and say okay well nonprofit, we know that you can't pay this off so we'll take care of you I hope. You're killing me, Small. I hope too. Isn't that awful? Yeah. Ugh. Hey, um, makes me root even harder for our team here in St. Louis. Absolutely. Because that's where it's going to hurt him mm-hmm. is when it comes out of his pocket. So, Randy, the Seahawks sent out a letter to their season ticket holders. It talked about various players and the success that they'd had in the past season. But one name was missing. They talked about DK Metcalf. They talked about Shane Waldron, their offensive coordinator. They talked about Andy Dickerson and the new run game coordinator that he is and what he's doing with the team. Russell Wilson not mentioned in the letter, Randy, at all. Michelle, you have had a stronger feeling about the Seahawks parting ways with Russell Wilson than I have. I am leaning now toward your side after this, that the Seahawks are not going to keep Russell Wilson around. 
And I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know who they're going to trade him for. I don't know who they're going to get to play quarterback. But now my sense is, is that when the 2021 season opens, he will not be the quarterback of the Seahawks. I think he's really dug himself in here. He's entrenched in this position because it is rare that Russell Wilson deviates from the script. So for him to go on Dan Patrick and say what he said, for his agent to come out and actually list teams that he'd be willing to go to is a big step. That tells you, at least if I'm reading the tea leaves, how far this has gone, at least from the Russell Wilson side of things. And while the Seahawks probably don't want to part ways with him, it's not beneficial for them to do so, regardless of what they get in return. This also I think gives us a little glimpse into their position on this. You're sending out your letter to season ticket holders and you don't mention the the prolific quarterback that you have. That was just, um, it got my antennas up, Randy. And the NFL announced today that their salary cap will be $182.5 million, down 8%. Okay, here's my question for you. Okay. If you are the Seahawks and the Bears, let's start with this. It's going to take Khalil Mack and three first-rounders to get Russell Wilson. Oh. <laughs> okay? Well, that's now, hard. That's good. If you are the Seahawks, do you want Nick Foles, too? Yes. So you get your quarterback back. So Foles, Khalil Mack, three first-rounders, and probably another pick. Which side says no? I, I would think the Bears would say, hey, you have to get rid of him. And we aren't giving you Mac. I would think that they would be the ones that would say no. But what if it, it the deal had to include Khalil Mack? Had to. Do you still do it if you're Chicago? If I'm Seattle, I don't do the deal unless it includes Khalil Mack, unless they give me five first-rounders. You're, if you're the Bears, you desperately need a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Not only because of what you need on the field, but Bears fans are clamoring for someone. I, I wonder what the the Deshaun asking price is in comparison to Russell Wilson. I wonder what the Deshaun situation looks like right now. I wonder if the Bears on the big board have Wilson over Deshaun, if they could pick one or the other. Here's, I, uh, here's the thing. When, to give up Khalil Mack, I don't know if I'd do it. When the, it's not even the picks that bother me that much. When the Rams traded for Goff, when the Eagles traded for Wentz, who hadn't played yet, they hadn't played it down in the NFL, they were giving up number ones. Robert Griffin III commanded three number ones before playing a down in the NFL. These guys are proven. Wilson, one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league. Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson, one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the league. And Deshaun is 25 years old. So that's why I say Watson is worth five mm-hmm. because of that position. And Wilson has to be worth at least three and a player. I wonder if they would do it. I wonder if the Bears would do it. Who else is going to play quarterback? Nick Foles? <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they draft one. I don't know. Sam Darnold? Who knows? Yeah, that might be. There's some options there, but none as, as appealing as, as Russell yeah. Wilson. And by the way, if you're Seattle, you you do have to get a pass rusher. You, you're going to cut Carlos Dunlap. You didn't have a pass rush last year until you got him going. Khalil Mack would be fair compensation in a Russell Wilson trade. Thank you, ma'am. You got it. And thanks for listening to... You're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac and BK coming up here in the 10 o'clock hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Dan McLaughlin will be with us tomorrow and Friday morning for the entire show. He's got his regular show with Brandon Kylie coming up at the top of the hour. And if you go to scoopswithdannymac.com, Dan has an interview with the Golden Bear, Jack Nicholas. Just parts of it. Uh, it's going to be on a show on Channel 2, which I do a show every Sunday at 1030. And this is in affiliation with uh, the Ascension Charity Classic. They came out with an announcement yesterday. I think this is great. They're going to have Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson part of a luncheon on July 29th to kind of kick off the event. And then they're going to play in a nine-hole uh, competition with those two guys on the course with two other guys for the champion from the champions tour and uh and just have some fun and and the luncheon is open and if you go to the ascensionchampions.com i believe is the website you can buy its tables at 10 and uh the ascension tour the ascension charity classic dot uh, com actually and that that uh, tournament turn is the only tournament in the history of the PGA or the Champions Tour that had a tournament canceled and still uh, went through and donated all their money for charity that they were dedicated to do. That's incredible. Um, so it got canceled with COVID, and they had three different charities in North County that they had separate checks for $75,000 apiece that they still fulfilled their commitments to uh, last year. I had the privilege to emcee that event in, um, I guess it was October, they made the check presentation. And that was one of the coolest things I was a part of. They put Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, and Hale Irvins all on Zoom. And, I mean, it was a private deal, and so they knew that these guys were going to be giving each other trouble. They didn't record it. They didn't. Oh, they knew great. it wasn't going to go out in the public. And it wasn't like a bunch of guys cussing at each other and stuff. It was just guys giving each other, like, hey, do you remember back in 70-whatever, and you were doing this, and you duff that one yeah what were you thinking you know it was it was great so having the chance to visit with jack nicholas yesterday was an absolute thrill i don't get uh in awe of a lot of people that was a thrill of a lifetime to visit with jack nicholas and he could not have been any more gracious than he was yesterday it was really cool who else is on that list for you or do you even have a list I really don't have a list. I, Bob Gibson was on that list. Lou Brock was on that list. I guess hometown heroes that uh, I didn't cover but had the chance to be around that w- was on that list. What about for you guys? Uh, Aaron, Ted Williams. Ted Williams was very complimentary of me, which I really enjoyed, and I, I will always remember. Uh, Joe Montana was yeah. really good to me, and he was he was fun. Gretzky was on that list yeah. for me. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Lemieux was on that list for me. Is there anyone that either of you haven't interviewed or spoken to just as a sports fan in general that you would want to? I always would have loved, I say this all the time, people ask me that question, I would have loved to have visited with Jackie Robinson. Oh. That was the one that I would have, that's That's the guy. That I would have just, it would have been an incredible honor to visit with Jackie Robinson. And I was around all the, but by the time I was, he had lost his ability to speak so I wasn't able to interview him, but Ali would have been amazing. He's one of those guys that's just instant offense. You just wind him up and let him go. Yeah, that would have been fun. I, I love listening back to the interview that Jack had, Jack Buck, with Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time he was going by Cassius Clay at that time. Right. And it's kind of old school radio, and Jack had the one ear, uh, what what yep. would you call it? The Just the, the headphone. Head, yeah. Headphone. and. Yeah. And we're joined now by Cassius Clay. You know, it's like one of those things, you know. The total Ca- eclipse of the sunny. Yeah. <laughs> Cassius, how are you tonight? Jack, I'm doing fine. You know, it was great. It was just neat hearing that interview. 
But yeah. yeah, those would be the ones I think about. Probably political figures would be something that would, old political figures, not current political figures, would be, I don't want to go down that road. Let's move on. But there's no one currently in sports that's a white whale for you? They, if you could have anybody in the booth, like you talk about Jack Nicholas. I know you're a golf person and how cool that must have been for that was, you. That was but bucket if you list. Could have anyone, Tiger Woods or any, Tiger would anybody have been one. be in the booth. But Tiger doesn't you. say anything. That's the thing. But what if you knew that you were going to get access? If it was going to be like an Oprah deal with the with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, you knew that they were coming to you guys to sit down and reveal whatever you wanted to mm. talk about. Probably is Tiger. If you could get Tiger to open up the way Michael did in Last Dance, mm-hmm. that would be pretty cool. Think about the sport. Let's see. Uh, I think I'd like to get Mike Trout to open up. That's a really good one. Mike Trout would be great. He's, he's, he's pretty... I, I've never really heard him much in an interview. He does interviews, but I, much less open up. And maybe it's because we're in the Midwest and he's on the West Coast and you don't really see a lot of him. And they're not in a lot of the national games, mm-hmm. the Sunday night games. I, I haven't really heard him talk an awful lot. That would be one that would come to mind. I'm sure the texters have some pretty good ideas. Yeah, I'm not looking at the text line, but is there anybody that comes to mind for you? Not really. I, I I do think Tiger stands above. I don't think there's anybody else from an individual sport that I find that compelling. compelling. That yeah. I, I say, okay, that's somebody that I, I would love to interview. From team sports, guys are so, especially with social media, people are so open now. We know so much more about them than we knew 10 years ago before Twitter was a huge thing. Yeah. Um, there's I, For me, I would love to get a real open look at Bill Belichick. Who are you? What makes you tick? Because when he is in front of that podium, he's so short. He's very calculated about what he reveals and what he doesn't. And I think if you could really sit down with him and pick his brain, that that would be interesting. That does, that does not interest me one bit. He does not interest me. We're on to Cincinnati. Yeah, he doesn't interest me. Uh, Larusa interests me mm-hmm. just because of the personal connection. Yeah. And I got to know him very well. Uh, and heard him open up about all his different things. Of, and I got the chance to ask him about those things, and it was fascinating. Um, it had private dinners with him and did events with him privately. Uh, Ted Simmons was very interesting mm-hmm. and getting just to kind of know him a little bit. That was fun. Uh, and guys, I also think, are so programmed now because – they're interviewed so much, mm-hmm. they're almost programmed. Yeah, they don't want to really say anything. No, no, because they know if they do, they're canceled. Yeah, They don't want to be the headline. Yeah. No. We had Jeff Passon on the show earlier, and Michelle asked what he thought That's of the Cardinals. question. i got to think about it. Okay, yeah, marinate on that. He the said show. the Cardinals are lucky that they're in the Central, which is where they are, but he's really concerned about the pitching. Yeah. And the, we have talked a lot about how – Really, uh, nobody has guarantees, but the Dodgers have a lot more guarantees than the Cardinals do. You hope that Flaherty, that last year was an aberration and that, granted, he had the one bad start. But Wainwright is 39. KK is in in his sophomore year. Michaelis is hurt. Carlos is perennially a question mark. I think that's very fair to question the Cardinals starting pitching. Yeah, and you started this camp and you were thinking, well, Martinez would be a battle for the fifth, and now I would think you put it in ink that he is your fourth, and now you have a battle for the fifth with Gant, Oviedo, Ponce. Am I missing anybody? Maybe Woodford. Maybe he's on the outside looking in. Actually, I think Woodford's got maybe a a better shot than uh, than I would have given him 48 hours ago. Yeah, me too. Look at what the Cardinals have done. I don't put a lot of 
stock into the numbers a third of the way through camp, but they are last in whip right now in spring numbers. Whip. And they are uh, bottom third in ERA. Um, that's concerning. Where the innings going to come from? Now, with a fifth starter, you're probably not going to get a lot of innings out of that guy anyway. But I would maybe look at Jake Woodford as being my fifth starter because maybe he can give you innings as opposed to, like, I don't look at Gant giving me, the, look at him historically as a starter. Third time through has not, has not been good. Oviedo, it's been a small sample size, but last year was not going to give you a lot of innings because he walks a lot of guys. And Ponce walks a lot of mm-hmm. guys. Maybe the best way to go is to look at Jake Woodford because he can provide you some innings. So that maybe is the direction the Cardinals would go. And the Cardinals, Bo talked yesterday about limiting a guy like Reyes to 100 innings, okay? So you've got a 25-week season. So you're talking about two games a week where Reyes is giving you two, two games a week where he's giving you two innings. Do the same thing with Gant. So Gant and Reyes both during the course of week are giving you two outings with two innings each. Maybe Say that he, again. So you'd go two innings. So if you, if Reyes gives you, so you got how many weeks in a season? 20, so you got, it, it, with the all-star break in there, it, you play about 25. Okay. So you got, yeah, that makes sense. So about 100 innings for both of those guys. And maybe you can get a few more innings out of Gant, but if you could I wouldn't like that out. because the way that things have gone with Gant is that in the second half of season, he does. And uh, Reyes, I guess we'll see if you get towards 100 innings. If he wears down, we're going to find out. They mm-hmm. want to build him up. Um, he's going to get multi-innings, and that's just the way things have gone. This The way it pans out for a lot of teams, starters aren't going to go very right. deep this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think across the board with all these teams is you got to have multi-inning guys, and that's why I like Gant. That's why I like if things would go to plan, uh, plan Ponce de Leon in the bullpen to give you multi-innings, and that's why I would like to see Reyes in the bullpen too, and, and that's where it's going to go. But, man, you got to find innings out of your four and your five. And that, that Martinez has got to do it, and, and maybe Daniel, or maybe it's it's Jake Woodford. Yeah, with where it's going to go too, not only your four and five, but your six, seven, eight, nine, ten are probably going to have to pitch, right? Oviedo. Ponce de Leon. At some point, you'll probably have both Thompson and Pon- and uh, Libertor pitching at the major league level. But whether it's one start or four, at some point, you're going to probably need that sort of depth. Every team is going to. I got to see Libertor throw strikes. Yeah, I- I'm not seeing him. He looks like a top prospect. Don't get me wrong; he looks good, but he looks like a prospect. Mm-hmm. So, it, what I mean by that is that when I'm watching him pitch. I'm seeing out of the, let's say, first three batters, his first two batters, he's exceptional. Really good breaking ball. Like, he's throwing the best breaking ball, even more so than Wayno. He'll snap one off, and I'm saying, wow, that's yeah. that's the guy. And he gets the first two outs, and he's consistent in the strike zone. And then all of a sudden, you see him go deep into a count, and there's a walk. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, there's a base hit. Now it's first and third, and you can kind of see the shoulders shrug a little bit. And he's in trouble. Then there's a base hit. Now run scores. Now he's in trouble. And there there might be another walk. And that's that's what a prospect does. And there's there's got to be more consistency out of him as you watch him go. So, Dan, late in July games, 
there's this the back row of the box seats. It, there's an overhang. When a lot of people are yelling "woo," I'm the guy in that back row yelling "throw a strike." That's yeah, <laughs> and that's well, what I'm yelling to Libertor. Well, there's you're you're not the only one. There's a lot of people, and they're throwing they're they're saying at, at KK and Martinez <laughs> and uh, let's see who else. Um, Ponds, Oviedo, <laughs> Oviedo, and yeah. keep going. And yeah. there's there's a lot of those right now with the Cardinals. They're, they're not throwing a lot of strikes. We want to see more strikes. And you know the 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 big picture with the Cardinals with this defense, they should throw strikes. Yeah. Put that, the ball in play. That's what Kyle McClellan said yesterday. Yeah. He said there's no excuse to not throw strikes. That's when you exactly. look at Arenado, DeYoung, I think Tommy Edmond is going to be really good defensively. Goldschmidt, you got a gold glover in left. You got really good defense with Thomas and Bader in center, or Thomas in left. Carlson be fine in right. Throw strikes. That's all you need to do. And Wayno's kind of shown that. Right. Pitch to soft contact if you can do that. So that would be my game plan. We're looking forward Easier to your said show. Than done. Yeah. Looking forward to your show coming up in the 10 o'clock hour. BK coming up, and Steve Sachs will be our guest. All right. All right. Looking Big forward sexy. to it. Not, and, not uh, that sexy. Different no. sexy. Yeah, different sexy. The Dodger Steve, Steve yeah. Sachs. It's uh, made some. Whoop. No, we're not going to go down that road, Randy. One of the great lines in the history of ball, Pedro Guerrero. That's right. <laughs> don't hit it to me and don't hit it to Saxy. <laughs> Had have, some throwing issues. Have a great show. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Okay, looking forward to it. Great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Michelle, this was fun. It was. See you tomorrow. And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning, 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of.